It is a fan midday show. Happy Tuesday. I said that with a question mark. Is it Tuesday? It, <laughs> it is, is Tuesday. Tuesday. Welcome downtown. Beautiful day. Going to touch 90, I think, today. My first time downtown in a couple of weeks. I'm Will Haskett, by the way. He's Jimmy Cook. It's been a while since I've been in this chair. Got to walk through the circle. They've got it shut down. There's like sporting events down there and ping pong and puzzles. And Come on downtown. It's a beautiful day. Uh, you could throw stuff up to us here high atop the drivehubler.com studio windows. If you could reach us, that'd be a pretty good toss. You need to audition Ho- for the t-shirt throwers uh, yeah, Pacers games. You hopefully can do that. we won't say anything that is worthy of you throwing anything at us. But <laughs> I was thinking about this. We even just had a conversation quickly off the air of how long this station, the fan, and its existence has been on the air because I interviewed for the first sports talk shows that were here back when Kravitz and Eddie had their afternoon mm-hmm. show. And I was a young kid and everything, yada, yada, yada. As many times as I've come back and I've just filled in and my schedule allows me to sit here and talk to my people here in Indianapolis about sports, I feel like I have filled in on either today or tomorrow more times than like five times more often at this time of summer, which just so happens to be when there's absolutely <laughs> nothing in the world of sports going on. Nothing, Jimmy. There is nothing. We're going to get into the NBA Summer League. We're going to get into the seesaw that was. Did you pay attention to the semifinals and finals of the Home Run Derby, or did you go back to the second half of the Pacers and the Magic last night in the Summer League? I actually did both, which I'm sure you're going to be shocked to discover because – why would I subject myself to that? That's what I guess we have to talk about in sports. We're a couple of weeks away from Colts training camp starting up. Uh, the entire sport of golf, which I cover, is in the middle of a congressional hearing as we speak, Yay. which was both comical and not <laughs> as enlightening. I don't actually think we're going to talk about that today, but I guess if we have to, we will. Um, it was it just got worse and worse and worse as I was listening to it. We could send you in a deposition here. if you wanted. We could. We could. You could. Add, there were some boy. There were some uninformed senators asking some questions <laughs> there today, which was really funny. But it is. It, it's just kind of this weird reset button, right? It's. America's pastime is on display for the All-Star Game tonight. I don't know if I'm going to watch, Jimmy, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know. It's it's a Here we are. It is the middle of July, and what do we as sports fans in Indianapolis want to talk about today? I guess it's the Pacers. There is a lot of – two games in, there's a lot of buzz around the Pacers right now. Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Jackson – to this point, summer league star, again, baby. Summer league star. Summer league star. He, he is the summer league poster child. Trade Miles now. Uh, We've seen enough from Isaiah Jackson. Let's figure it out. Trade Miles. Let's go. Don't need him. Sell high on Miles right now and roll with Isaiah Jackson while you can. You've seen what you wanted to see from a baseline standpoint from your second year players like Benedict Metherin, like Andrew Nemhard, twenty one points last or twenty one points last night. Benedict's looked good. Everybody from a, they've already been in summer league before. So one year or above standpoint has looked the part of what you would have wanted in a two to three game audition out in Las Vegas. I guess just two games to this point. Jairus Walker's shown flashes. Oscar Shibwe's had a couple nice rebounding moments. I mean, I, I, I know that's did not, you just say I, I, Oscar Shibwe's had a couple. Man, that's what he's known you for. You should see that's how he rebounded that's the basketball the last it night. It looked great. It looked great in college, and it's looked great through summer league. But that's what we're going off of because you cannot live too high or too low with this because if you do yeah. that too high or too low exercise, you turn into a Victor Wembanyama fan where it's eight points one night, 21 the next night. Oh, it's because he's been doing around-the-clock appearances, right. and they gave him a little bit of time off and he's now shoving he's fully Britney shut Spears down. time to shut him down before he, he like 
body slams Christina Aguilera. Vegas has all the happens. stars. It's a dangerous place. Yeah, I'm for, telling for you, a what, you're going like to end, like end up at a club or at a show somewhere. <laughs> I mean, they shut him down. I hope they shut him down and also gave him a ticket out of town because it's <laughs> only going to get in trouble. Um, it, it's all. I think it's fun to joke about. I understand it's big business. It's serious business to those in play. And it's interesting it being the All-Star game because I think about this how many years ago? It's been it's been almost 20 years since the All-Star game tie. The famous Bud Selig saying what are we going to do and then finally just kind of waving the hand and saying this game's over with. And I think of that moment so symbolically. And again, I thought last night was actually highly entertaining. We'll, we'll talk about Loved the home it. run derby here in a second. Again, this is a lot of times we come in here. I'm like 75 years older than Jimmy, so I play this old man shtick. It's fun for everybody. It's fun for me. I, it, last night was very entertaining. I think tonight will be entertaining. I was seven when the tie happened. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's been 20. Yeah, it's been 20 years. So that to me, when you look back on it in the framework of sports. And again, bear with me here, folks. It's the middle of July. We got to stretch ideas here. We got three hours to talk. By the way, Scott Agnes at one, Mike Chappell at two. So we'll have legitimate sports journalists for the Pacers and the Colts coming up on the show today to talk both of those teams with you. I look back on the tie, and to me, it's a symbolic shift in sports in general. We now live in the era of, and I say the word entitled not as a negative necessarily, but in the entitled especially professional athlete there's been so much so much money is now in sports compared to what it was a quarter century ago even more so than now it has changed how sports are played we have load management now we have there is no value like vladimir guerrero wins a million dollars last night in the home run derby if the home run derby winner had won a million dollars 30 years ago every single slugger and by the way every single slugger was going to the home run derby 30 years ago but the top 10 guys in home runs in major league baseball would be there 30 years ago fighting for a million dollars to be a home run derby champion vlad and all of his friends last night Kudos to them for putting on a good show. And really kudos to the number of names that are still showing up for the Home Run Derby, given how taxing that thing was. But a million dollars in the long run to the contract and contracts that he's inevitably going to sign, it's not worth it with all the money in sport. And I view that All-Star game so much as the tipping point to where we were so angry then. Like, how dare they not play a game to completion? How dare they not have a winner or a loser? But at the same point in time, you had these managers and these arms and these pitchers being like, wait a second, this is an exhibition. Like, why am I going to go out there and extend myself two, three, four, five innings and potentially hurt my team moving forward? It's a valid point. When we look back on it, it's like, oh, it made sense that it arrived at that. And we then tried to figure out a way to add skin to the game to make the game more meaningful so they'd be more motivated to potentially win. It's like, wait a second. If you're a reliever for the Cardinals in the 14th inning of the All-Star game tonight, and it was the old system where like the winning team got home field for the World Series, like, there's no motive. What, I mean, what the heck were we thinking? That only ended six years ago, by the way. But it is amazing to think about where we've come. And I do view that as sort of the jumping off point to where all of a sudden the business, the value of teams, what that meant to the value of their employees, those employees being the athletes, then meant it really sort of changed. And I feel like the business, the big business nature of sport 
really shifted there. And now here we are 20-something years later, and again, I'm not going to talk about congressional hearings with golf today, but this concept of foreign sovereign wealth funds buying into sport, Adam Silver had to address it yesterday. Gave the Heisman shot. Oh my gosh, he did not, he didn't want anything to do with it. And I think he's <laughs> right to a point, because I think insulated team sports are well more positioned to at least ignore the money for the short term, whereas individual sports, I'm watching Wimbledon over your shoulder right now, that sport's about to get bought because the players have all the control there. It's like they'll, they'll go play anywhere for money, just like any go- the golfers will go anywhere to play for money. It's about them and their bank account at the end of the day, yada, yada, yada. That's a very circuitous route to come back and say it's interesting that we do arrive at this moment with this All-Star game and think about how this particular game in a lot of senses had kind of that flashbulb moment of, oh, wow, sports are going to change. And they've evolved to where they are in a modern, huge capitalistic way here in 2023. And they may also be evolving even more in front of our own eyes right now. They certainly are globally speaking, but from a team sports standpoint, could be when you and I sit in this these two mics, and we come back and co-host this show in 20 more years. We're like, hey, remember 2023 when there was all of this foreign investment money and how it changed the capitalism of sport? Anyway, it's a fascinating time to be alive, and I, I always reflect back on a night like tonight when I watch the All-Star game and wish that they were all wearing their team uniforms in either roads or aways as opposed to national and American. They still they do that, right? It's now, it's one uniform, yeah, it's, right? Yeah, do you correct. remember the old? I correct. love that, the old. That's, that's I why I'm repping the, the Garrett Cole jersey would, today for that gosh, exact I reason. I love that. I would yep. absolutely love it. They did the, uh, the actual team unis. But I'll think about that. I'll think about how this event tonight has had so much influence for a variety of different generations um, on sport and how we view sport. And there you go. There's my 10-minute soapbox soliloquy to begin this show. I'll be back in three weeks. It could have been the Sealy Runner. Just think, had mm. somebody in a press box mm. been thinking of themselves in 2002, hey, let's just put a runner on second. That'll speed this thing up. That would awesome. happened at that time. But hey, uh, look. I, I actually like the runner on second thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad about it either. I've, I've accepted it. I think that a lot of people in all walks of life like to push back on change a little bit. But yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the, or I'm not against the Manford Runner. Uh, to last night, to toot the own horn a little bit. We're not going to match it tonight because, A, there's not enough prop bets out there to do it. But five for six last night on home run derby bets, including the winner of Vlad Guerrero. Uh, Nathaniel had gotten on board as well with the under 490 for the longest home run. We gave you that. and then So no one hit it 488? No, no uh, We came really close. We, we, if we got, we would have hit That was the number, right? 490 and a half was the number. Oh, I saw one that was 488 and a half. That was, was... probably better juice. This was minus 145 okay. was the was the 490 and a half, but they, the closest was like 47, 48, and then we also got the over of the uh, the 276 for the total home runs, and that was done by about the semifinals. Yeah. Thank you, Julio Rodriguez, setting the record for most home runs in a round of a home run derby with yeah. 41. Um, highly entertaining. It was great. Watch from start to finish, by the See, way. See, now this is where I'm going to get off. This is where I'm going to quarterfinals highly entertaining okay there we go they keep you engaged into the semifinals and then those guys were absolutely shot absolutely no now well, so, so then you missed the 41 right. then no i saw the 41 the 41 happened in the wasn't that opening round against alonzo or no my, my yeah, yeah it was yeah that's what i'm saying the quarterfinals. so the first round so the sure. quarterfinals because there's eight, eight guys, my right? bad. Yeah. yeah so sorry we first round mixed up. first round semi first round highly compelling because yes. you had the alonzo showdown you had julio in his own ballpark yep I mean, Rosa Reina's just knocking them 
all over the place. Seattle like, fans are super cheering fun. when other batters uh, hit it into the Rouchman, tur- Rouchman, what, uh, whoever the Orioles the, catcher yep. is, is going switch hitter in the middle of it, which was <laughs> such a flex. I loved every second of that one. I, I loved it. And then you realize, wow, there's a reason why a lot of, there's a reason why Otani is not in this thing. Like, he would gas himself so bad for it and, and all the stuff that he has coming up in the back half of the season. You're like, okay, I see why some guys want to stay away from it. And how can we make the home run derby to where we get Julio Rodriguez's potential in the championship, not in the first round? That's the question. Because I'm not going to lie, all of a sudden I'm on Twitter, not threads. I tried. No chronological. I'm out. I'm, I'm there. Out. I'm but too, for that reason, out. I'm out. I'm there. Out. So I'm back on I'm on Twitter last night. I'm seeing all the updates from the guys that are following the Pacers in Vegas. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll flip over and see some of these guys play in the second half. And I'll come back and I'll watch this. And the guys were like so sweaty and so out of breath. I'm not talking about the Pacers. I'm talking about the home run guys. <laughs> that I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess I'll watch the finals. But I didn't feel like I was getting I thought Vlad the was dead out to rights in the semis. Like I thought for certain yeah. there's no way he's going to be able to. And they kept throwing it up. So he just had to get his arms up there right. up in the zone. I, how many can they hit? I think it actually is made for a bad, a worse TV product. Because Which part? The, the, the clock like how oh, many can you squeeze in? No, no, no. I am a fan of for the viewers or this? for the players. I'm a fan of it for the players. I'm a fan of it for the competition. I wasn't a fan as a viewer because you can completely shoot me here. <laughs> the back 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 of Chris Berman was tiresome, but at least every single swing we were tracking whether it was going to be a home run or not. Sure. And last night the ball hadn't even landed and the pitcher is in the windup for the next Fair. one because they're trying to maximize opportunities. Fair. And so the ticker, the I mean, whoever the the intern was in the truck who had to be in charge of the, yep, that's home run 25, yep, that's home run 26, like kudos to that sure. young man or woman because they had to be really be on top of it to make sure, did that ball actually get out? Who's the one that's confirming it? Is there someone on a microphone or on a walkie-talkie somewhere saying it? That to me just got a, it hurt the TV product from that standpoint and it gasses these guys so much that I feel like the entire energy of the competition was sucked into the early Julio Rodriguez vortex that kind of carried that comet into the semifinals for all the competitors and then you're just kind of spent by the end of it like my ADD kicked in in that thing so again is it better than it used to be I think it is can it be better? Yeah, because I want to see Julio Rodriguez mash 41 in the final. How can we get Julio Rodriguez to mash 41 in the final? I mean, that part, I don't think any... I don't know there's a real solution there. Probably not. Because you're just trying to get ahead of the next round. But you're right, it is a tough loss that you see that hometown or homegrown story in Julio Rodriguez being a Mariner and the entire Mariner base that's there getting behind him. But it happens in round one and then you lose some of that pizzazz yeah. towards the end. I agree with you on that part. From a visual standpoint, I think it's much better than it was back in the days of, or not visual standpoint, from a competition standpoint, it's much better than the days of you get so many outs before you get there. I feel like it, it does have a sense of lock you in, but the cameras have yet to catch up with what's the best way to present that. I will say, I flipped to ESPN2 after the first round, and this is to your point of, well, it shouldn't be that hard. People should be able to just go to ESPN and get the product right. they want. StatCast is a far better visual product yes. because they have the batter on one side and they're showing you 
exactly the trajectory of where the ball went yep. while still showing you the next yes. swing. And they had exit vel- uh, exit velocity mm-hmm. and launch angle on the ESPN broadcast, which, and I can't remember who was on the call last night, but whoever one of the analysts was, made a great point. It's like, if you see 104 miles an hour or higher and a launch angle within this range, it's yep. going to be a home run. Yep. Like, that's what we've learned. It's very similar to my expertise, uh, expertise in golf. It's like, all of these guys have optimize what they know are premium launch conditions Mm -hmm. so they now know what set of it's physics people like what set of circumstances they need to create in order to have a home run every single time so at least we got that i was like oh look exit velo 106 launch angle of 26 degrees that's gone like that's actually mashed so i the nerd in me could at least follow along with that a little bit better but I don't know. I almost wonder if it's. I mean, where are the who are the home run leaders right now? Yeah, it's Otani. Otani's at the top. Uh, uh, who was the two seed last night? Well, so the one seed last night was Robert, right? Right. So is he number? Yeah, because they were seated by order of home runs to okay. that point. Um, it's Otani one, Matt Olson two. He didn't participate last night. Betts three. Oh, it's Betts, Alonzo, and Robert are all tied with twenty six dingers. Good lord! Yeah, but he's not a. I know, but he's uh, not but, a but, masher. But like, I was an over better. I was not happy with him. It's okay now because the bet hit. But you have all this good momentum, and then eleven from Mookie Betts, and it was like, come on, man, give me fifteen. Yeah, but Mookie Betts probably competes in the old format. Sure, no doubt. Like, let him step out of the box, yeah. step in. You got a certain number of outs. He's going to make better contact more often. He had a couple really good yeah. last night, and he couldn't get to the wall. Like, He's it was, an a, it was a bad ballpark otherworldly player. for him to be in it. Sure. Uh, Soler. It hit um, in spite of him. Garcia, J.D. Martinez, Kyle Schwarber, Ozzy Albies. Those are your top 10 in the Major League Baseball in home runs. So how many of them were in the home run dirty last night? Uh, Betts, Alonzo, Robert, and that's it, right? Because you had to go down beyond those guys yeah. to get to it. My Here's how I would tweak it. So Guerrero doesn't participate if they keep it at a field of eight, right? Because was he not in that top I mean, eight that you just listed? If everybody so participates. I mean, how many he has 13 on I mean, the year. He is. I mean, it's outside the top 50 in home runs in the major leagues this year. Man. So, again, star value, he has past success. I mean, yeah. Like, he now has a five-year exemption. Like, if he wants to compete any time over the next five years, he gets that. Like, you sort of work this thing into it. I think what you do to make it better is keep it at eight guys. Maybe you don't. Expand it. Let's expand it to... How can we do this? I'm trying to think. No. Who are the... You want Shohei Otani in this home run derby last night, right? If Judge was healthy... We, and he's been in it before. You want Otani and Judge yep. one and two probably. seeds. Yep. You give them buys to the semifinals. Okay, and you figure out a way to pit guys to get to that moment. I don't know how you're going to do that. I'm trying to figure out. I'd love to have like two guys, top two seeds get buys, and maybe you have the next two get buys into whatever that round is, and you have one round, two rounds. So you end up with four rounds, but sure. it ends up being the same number of actual competitors. So you have up and comers who want to try and like slug their way to it. They get the crowd sort of hyped, but then you've got rested sluggers who get the little bit of an advantage because of either their home run total during the year coupled with past successes or marketability or whatever it might be. And you might actually convince Otani to have a go at it because instead of saying, hey, if you go this whole way, you're going to have to swing violently. I mean, how many swings do you think Vlad Guerrero took last night? I mean, he hit 
70 something homers, right? I mean, so he 200. Yeah. The more shocking one of any of them was a Rosarena, particularly on the final push before he had those last 30 seconds where he couldn't hit one over the yard, which is he hit like six in a row over and it would just bang, bang, yeah. bang. Just like he, it was like fire. recoil ball, yeah. recoil ball, yeah. recoil ball. So you can't convince a guy like Shohei Otani to show up if he's going to have to swing out of his shoes sure. 200 times. So if you want this to truly identify the top slugger in the game, you'd want that person to be as rested yeah. in the championship showdown. That's my only – again, these are small gripes. We're nitpicking at things because yeah. we have three hours to fill and there's not a lot of sports information today. But that's how I would do it because I think you could attract bigger names and I think you could make the championship more compelling. Because I'm not going to lie, I loved watching the early rounds and then it's like, oh my gosh, these guys are – they're tiring me out. They're tiring themselves out. They're tiring me out. And then I had to remind myself to flip back for the final. You know what also might have happened, though? I want to double-check this. Really was, good final, right. by the way. Oh, I mean, Vlad versus Rosarena is a really good marquee yeah. of two guys you'd want to see swing. I mean, there, there were some combinations of guys last night that I would have been like, all right, I, unless you're a White Sox fan, it's like I did not want to see a final of Robert versus um, – Give me the next worst potential person that I would have wanted to see last night. Actually, it was a pretty good collection of eight hitters. The, uh, I mean, the maybe... player from Texas that I can't remember his name right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah that yeah. guy. There you go. Um, I wanted to check this to make sure that I wasn't you know, talking in no man's land. So, Otani has participated before. Yes. He did it in 2021. Uh, yeah. Lost in the first round. Lost by Juan Soto. Uh, who That was another Pete Alonso year. But anyway... At first, I was like, okay, maybe this is a thing with Otani where it's the LeBron James effect. He's never going to do the home run derby, but he's done it before. So if you're guessing, maybe that is what he experienced was the aggressiveness of the workload that it requires. I would have to go back and really dive into how the rest of that season unfolded for him yeah. from a statistical standpoint. That's the biggest gripe is, right? Oh, I don't want to do it because it'll ruin my swing. You hear that sometimes right. from players. Maybe it was a bad experience for him to the point that he's like, yeah, there's nothing for me to really gain from doing this. I'm already a world superstar. Yeah. What do I have to gain? Right. And I don't know how you fix that for a player of his caliber. You, Judge, I think, would have done it if he was healthy. Stanton, he was on the IL earlier. They were never going to let him go do it. But they've done it in the past. Like, they did it a couple years ago. Totally. So I don't know if it's as much star power as much as it is the biggest top of that superstar mountain. For whatever reason, doesn't want to do it anymore. He did have an injury this year, but he's still been taking at bats, to my knowledge. I mean, the Braves have hit more home runs this time of the year than ever before. We sure. didn't have a single Brave in the home run derby last night. I mean, and we've got three of them are in the top eleven in Major League Baseball: Matt Olson, Ozzy Albie's, and R. A. Junior. But you'll see them tonight. So what is what is missing from them not wanting to participate in the derby? It's a lot of the stuff we just outlined. Right, and hopefully one of them mashes a home run tonight so we can continue that narrative, but how cool sure. it would have been, like, Mike, one of them up. Like, I was watching a little bit of the pregame yesterday on ESPN, and they were actually talking about a lot of that, and I think they even had Olsen, and um, they had, uh, who's the third baseman? He's been there forever, um, inked up to a nice little deal. Um, gosh, it's, uh, uh, no, not the, wow, gosh, uh, Austin Riley. They had Austin Riley and Matt Olsen out there talking about hitting home runs and the team sort of prospect of it and the excitement and everything like that. And they were doing so much good stuff in the home run derby. It would have been really nice to sort of, I think, give that team and their philosophy and their camaraderie the spotlight of the home run derby last night to talk about home runs when they themselves were the ones who have hit more home runs than any team ever going into an all-star break. Just, again, nitpicky little stuff. You enjoyed it, though. 
and you did not have any money on it. I enjoyed it. I did not have money on it. Okay, so I enjoyed it, but I was worried about that, right? Because I did have a couple wagers going on this home run derby. So my thought is, well, am I only enjoying it because I had stakes in it? That definitely helped, especially at the end, because I'm here hoping a Rosarena doesn't break my heart in 30 seconds. Thought for sure he was. Winds up not doing it. But from the non-betting perspective, it also likes baseball. The home run derby is still a sell-factor of this is All-Star Weekend. Come watch this. It's exciting. And I'm watching the highlights right now of it. It's above your shoulder. <laughs> I mean, it's literally like bat goes back and pitch. Bat go, I mean, finishes the back, the recoil of the backswing, just pulls the bat up and fire. Pulls the bat. I mean, it's unbelievable. Those balls were juiced. Conspiracy theory at first. Those balls were totally juiced. Those were not regulation baseballs by any stretch of the imagination. All right, that's 25 minutes on a home run derby that's already happened. That means we are one-sixth of the way through the show today just little victories one by one that's jimmy cook i'm will haskett we'll get into the pacers uh, i've got thoughts from last night um victor women has been shut down i think we should just start shutting down pacers i mean we've seen enough right let's shut them down load management the heck out of this summer league team more on the fan midday show right after this fan midday show on a tuesday will haskett in jimmy cook in take your daughter to work day again gwen's here fresh off of golf practice this morning Shout out to my folks right around the circle at Panera. They whipped up the lunch super quick today. Nice job out of them. We were on a time crunch. We made it happen here today. Do we have a pick two? What do we have today? Oh, yeah, definitely. Double pick twos today. Nice. Normally, nice. I go with the salad, but I picked two today. I like the All broccoli right. cheddar. I'm now a sucker for the broccoli cheddar. Uh, Pacers win last night, 108-85. Um, stop the prices. Indiana Pacers undefeated everybody <laughs> in summer league play. They are 2-0. and Um all right, thoughts from last night, Jimmy, because I was flipping back and forth between the home run derby and watching this game. Hmm. Hmm. Let's see. What to think? What to think? I have read nothing but glowing praise <laughs> for Ben Shepard. Goes for 16 last night, yep. four of seven, three-point shooting, nine rebounds. 32 from him and Walker combined. A plus 23 and a plus minus. If you care about that metric, that was the best of any – Pacer. The weirdest thing was is that every time I would flip back over, I didn't know who Ben Shepard was on the court, so I never felt like I recognized when he was doing it. I didn't have the sound up very much. He had that good hustle play, I would say late third, early fourth, where there was a missed shot. His entire team was already kind of going back on defense. He was around the rim, kind of hustle, tipped the ball away. It tipped actually to him in the corner, had a second, gathered himself and shot it. And I remember seeing him, I was like, man, that was good stuff out of Nemhard. That's my original thought. <laughs> and then like this morning, I'm watching the highlights, and I was like, oh, it was Shepard. I was like, okay, because I was thinking to myself last night when I'm reading all this praise, is like, sure. I didn't have a single moment from the game where I recognized his presence on the court. Again, that's that's a me problem. And from a jersey that's standpoint, not a him problem. the summer league jerseys across the board, not just the Pacers, well, it's hard to have, have a just clear identifier. hairstyles, too, since the end of the season. I just meant from the broadcast standpoint. Right? We look for numbers, look for anything that we can yeah. do to differentiate, and it's hard with the summer league unit. It is very hard to do that. So I, I guess he's looked good. Um. Okay. The passing from Walker just just solely on that. Listen, li- I am mapping him out for what he's going to be next year. Oh, I'm all in on Jairus Walker. Yeah. I'm all in. I mean, the the ball handling, the aggressiveness, the athleticism, the. I mean, he's his shots look. When the shot goes in, it looks good. Sure. Like I hate that. You know, he's two of eight last night from three, and if you watch the two, you'd be like, wow, this guy must be making forty five percent. Like forms good. 
it's it's spinning, it's splashing, it's doing everything it needs to, and then you're like, oh, but he missed six of them. Okay. It's it's so interesting to me because we talked about this going into the draft. I was pumped up for the draft. I was excited for the draft. We knew that there were going to be players of Walker's ilk that were going to be available for the Pacers, and not only was he there and probably was their guy when they were looking at the realities of the spot they were going to pick, but they also got future resources out of an aggressive Washington team that felt scared to have to move up a spot, whatever. That's water under the bridge. Watching Walker play in summer league would be super, super exciting for me Uh-oh. as a fan of any team. There's an if coming. That but. wasn't like how many games out of the play-in last year. You know, it's like he's a piece sure. that you put on a team that was a five seed or a six seed last year and was missing a solid contributor at the four. And you're like, oh, wow. Like th- now we go. Sure. Now we go. But what have we talked so much about with this? Indiana Pacers team. And I heard Alex Golden on this morning on the morning show with Jake and Kevin. Is you have a, a bona fide star, you think, in Tyrese Halliburton. You're paying him to be a star. Mm-hmm. We still don't really know who the number two alpha dog star is on this team. We, we, have, we hope it is. We have candidates sure. for who that player may be. But watching. Again, two summer league games, young kid who can do everything on a basketball court. Could Jarris Walker become that? Eh, maybe. But to me, he looks like the absolute perfect lunch pail, workhorse, team first guy to plug into a team that already has established a true number one, a true number two, and maybe even a true number three in the pecking order of star power. So again, am I excited about him? Yeah. In a vacuum, he's a great NBA player or prospect, it looks like to me. But where is this team in developing or having the next? And that leads into, and you can talk about Walker, but that leads into watching Benedict, Benedict Matherin play in these summer league games, which to me has been like, ugh. Yeah. And I'll get to that in a second. But first, let's, let's focus on the glass half full thing. I have loved all, let's see, he played 32 minutes last night. Let's say he's played 64 minutes. I've loved all 64 yep. minutes I've seen of Jairus Walker. The glass half full angle with that is you said right now the player you're seeing in summer league the idea of putting that player onto a team that would have been a solid playoff team a year ago would really excite you and make you feel like this team is on the right track and that's your takeaways for this player who has not played any legitimate nba minutes yet in his career yeah he is fresh yep out of houston only a couple summer league games under his belt, which again is the whose line is in any way of the NBA world. Mm-hmm. Everything's made up. Those points don't matter. That's right. You, you want, just want to see growth and development to some extent, little flashes here and there, and then let's get to training camp in a couple months. The idea, though, that that is the jumping off point for Jairus Walker at this stage of his career enlightens me for what this team wants to do in the next couple of years, which is continue to grow the stars they think they have drafted Correct. within the last couple of drafts. But that brings us to the second half of that coin. You ask who is, you mentioned a couple of candidates for who is the running mate to Tyrese Halliburton and then 1A or 1B or the number two option on this team. There's only one answer in my mind for what it has to be for long-term success for this team. Obi and that's Toppin. Matter. <laughs> I oh. mean, look, it, Obi Toppin by low, or is a low-risk, high-reward type player where if that pans out into anything useful, anything useful for the second-rounders that you threw that way, it's a great trade and it's very helpful. Bringing Bruce Brown over here, uh, Tim Legler reached a little bit on this in that he felt if you put Bruce Brown on a team, any team really, 
they would be closer to championship contender status. They were built the right way. Yeah, He stepped back off of that once the Pacers signed him, but the leap could still be there. You go from non-playoff team to play-in or playoff team. So there's hope there with what they've done this offseason, but long-term, building a team that has the type of draw that what Golden State built over the last 10 years, what more recently Memphis is building with their rookie class of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain and John Morant, relies on Benedict Matherin realizing his potential. I will say, his performance in Summer League, the points have been there, but it's taken a lot of shots to get oh there. Gosh. The efficiency hasn't it's been painful. there. But it's not something where I'm necessarily hitting panic buttons just yet on. And I'm not saying you are either, No, but some fans will look at that and be like, well, he's a second-year player going up against mainly first-year guys. Why is he not shining in Summer League? I want to temper this. Okay. I, I love the kid. I love the hustle. I love everything. What do the Pacers need Benedict Matherin to be to be the number two to Tyrese Halliburton? Because here's the thing. You want the ball in Halliburton's hands. So what we're seeing a lot from Matherin in the summer league is the ball is going to be in his hands. Can he go and create for himself, for others, and right now, he looks just like a bull in a china shop. Like, I am, I'm getting to the tin. I'm, I'm going to throw my body. Like, I lo- we loved that about him early last year. And we've talked about a, a reason why. One, he's playing with more energy than he needed to expand, expend at the beginning of the season. Two, you're playing against a bunch of teams that understand it's an 82 game haul. And Matherin's able to put up crazy numbers at the beginning of his rookie season. In a lot of respects, because the Pacers just out-hustled a lot of teams at the beginning of last year. So you need to see the ability to have multiple gears, to know when you're not having to go at 100 miles an hour, to know when driving into three guys with no plan B is going to be is not the the cause here. And the thing is, if the Pacers want to be successful, late shot clock situations late game situations, it's going to be in Halliburton's hands because you trust him to make the play. He showed us last year he can shoot, so if you give him a little bit of an opening, he's going to shoot. He's a crafty driver. He doesn't turn the ball over, and he typically makes the right pass if someone happens to be open. So how are you, if your number two guy appears to be someone who, especially in the summer league you're showing, needs to have the ball in his hands and ball dominate, how does he become a number two for you when you your number one has to be the ball-dominant guy? So to me, it's like, I need to see more spot-up shooting from Matherin. I need to see off-the-ball stuff from Matherin, like getting to spots. The Denver Nuggets won a title with a seven foot nine, however tall yoke. I mean, a massive man who happens to also be their point guard, mm-hmm. right? So they have a ball-dominant big man yeah. in a lot of respects, and their number two is Jamal Murray, who can create if he wants to, but is also a deadly spot-up shooter, and his time on the ball is minimal compared to, say, what we're seeing out of Matherin in summer league games. Like, that's if, if that's your formula, that's what you need. You need elite shooting, slashing, and the occasional, yeah, give him the ball with eight seconds to go, clear it out, let him go get it. But watching these summer league games, I mean, it's just, it's Tasmanian devilish. Sure. A lot of the times. And so it's like, come on, calm down. Calm down, son. You're going to be okay. Like, you're going to be okay. But I, I want to see I want to see him run the show. I mean, he had six assists last night, so I'm not, I'm not going to bury him. But, I mean, 
Andrew Nemhard plays the same amount of minutes last night, puts up 21 on 8 of 16 shooting, 7 assists to Matherin 6. Like, he's just such a more efficient guard with the ball in his hands right now. So, I guess, what's the skill? What's the superstar skill that Matherin's going to develop in two or three years? We're like, oh, yeah, clear number two now. Yeah, Will was an idiot. How did he not see this coming? I mean, I need, again, this is only year two for him. And I know that Young guy, not, neither of us are, are, are fully making complete observation on him based on what he's done in summer league. I would also point out as well that from a role standpoint, Nemhard, in my mind anyway, unless that's how they want to utilize Matherin, should not be the lead runner in sets of Matherin being on the floor. The only person that is going to trump Matherin in the pecking order is Tyrese Halliburton, and he's not out there. So I don't know if this has been a point of emphasis of, okay, we want, as you mentioned, and he had the assist to back it up to some extent, give Matherin the opportunity to run the show at times during summer league and see where we are from a evaluation standpoint going into the season. Because for me, the only way this works, and I think Andrew Nemhart is a heck of a player, and I'm not saying that he's not a, a starting caliber player within this league, but the only way the Pacers go where I want them to go of dreaming big, which is to the NBA Finals, to winning yes. a Larry O'Brien trophy oh, yeah. someday. I'm with you here. Is if Benedict Matherin yes. becomes He has to be a superstar. I get Jaylen it. Jalen Brown. I get it. Or totally get Jason it. Tatum. And I know yeah. Brown's a bad example from last postseason, but get what I mean. It has to be a dynamic duo yes. thing. If they miss on Matherin, but they hit on Nemhard, the ceiling is different. And in a smaller market, you cannot afford all these tanking years to wind up being yeah. misses in the first round. Yeah. And I don't think we're there yet. I know you no, no, don't no. either. No, definitely But don't. that's what he has to be. He has to be a true running two mate. He doesn't have the skills to make a ball dominant cycle work like Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook did in the Thunder early days. Right. It was like, oh, those guys are both ball dominant. He's not going to grow six inches in between now and then. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think it'd be interesting to watch these summer league games. And again, I'm not watching it with the nuance that, say, like Scott Agnes is. And sure. we'll talk to him coming up at the top of the hour. I'm not watching these games necessarily understanding it as much as some of those guys are. But, you know, give Nemhart the ball a majority of the time. Like, let him run point because how this team is going to be built is that and I again I heard Alex Golden talking this morning about what your starting lineup might look like and he thinks it's going to be Halliburton Nemhart maybe starting like they did late last year and like sort of a three guard lineup with Matherin out there on the floor I don't really know how that works I still don't know how you keep Bruce Brown out of the starting I just don't know how that how that you keep that guy out of the starting lineup coming up who would you replace him with no I mean who would he replace if he if he gets put in of that three guard look, probably Nemhart. Okay, because that 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 has to be the answer in my well, mind. Like, but this but this is if you're, I guess this is the the pickle that Rick Carlisle's in that even Kevin Pritchard is kind of in is you know you're trying to win games, but what are you also doing from a developmental standpoint and then putting the right pieces on the floor at the same point in time? Like lineups, this isn't first grade basketball where you feel like you're a superior person just because you happen to be the starter. At the end of the day, are you on the court when it matters? What are your total minutes looking like? How do the rotations sort of mount together? It's the it's the Walker versus Obi Toppin debate, right? Like you're going to bring your young guy along slowly, so 
even though Walker could continue playing at this amazing pace, and you're probably still going to see Toppin start over him. I mean, you would just expect that to happen because that's how NBA franchises run, even if you think the guy that's coming off the bench in his place has the better long-term upside. I guess and my, you can change that one very quickly because easily. of the deal that Toppin's on. Right. You could decide halfway sure. through the season, Toppin, you're coming off the bench. We're sorry. That's what we're doing. I think it'd just be... It's just interesting to me that they have put so much emphasis into Matherin in two games that we've witnessed in this summer league of being almost like your primary ball handler. And that to me, I just I just never really saw that as how he's going to fit long term into the piece. And I may just be completely reading it wrong, but watching the game, it's like, wow, I mean, it's just a lot of dribbling, a lot of driving. He's going to earn his free throws. Like I, he's only going to get stronger. You can't question his athleticism. You know the shot is is streaky good, but when it was good, it was great mm-hmm. last year. I liked a lot of those sort of pieces. But it's interesting to me because I understand he's young. It's only his second year. You roll these guys back out in a summer league to get them the, sort of the reps. But I just I haven't seen it through two games where I feel like what are we? What's he gaining? What are we gaining? Like what's the net positive? Because if you just if you said, look, he tweaked an ankle two weeks ago, we're just not going to play him this summer. I'm like, great, sure. cool. Like, I've got enough. I saw enough from him last year. I don't need to see him this summer. But what I've seen from him this summer is like, eh, I'm just scratching my head a little bit about just all of this ball. And maybe it's just part of the learning of him. I mean, that's maybe that's the coaching is we need to put the ball in his hands. And these are, you know, um, mistake-free opportunities to yep. go learn what to deal with and, and how to – Help you play with teammate. ten fouls. Like it's, yeah. it's it it is not. He picked up a lot of, of fouls. <laughs> you're, you're you're. It's not the game of basketball that we're used to. Last night? Oh, you said two on what a nightly it? basis. But I just mean like that's what you have to play off of, and that's just an underlying point of what summer league is, and the reason you often see second year players, which are in Benedict Mather and shoes right now, that are out there in Las Vegas is especially when you're a team that's been in the tank. You haven't played basketball since April. That's true. Like at a minimum. It's competitive, hungry basketball players looking to prove themselves. A lot of rookies, a lot of first and second year guys go out there and get them some run. Now, if the Pacers wind up, it'll be very fascinating to see how they balance this. I don't remember how the seating exactly works, but it basically goes four of these just assigned games. And then we get into the semifinals, I think, of Summer League or the quarterfinals yeah. of Summer League in this little tournament. If the Pacers make it into that, again, it's the same thing as any like a G League, like how much is the real meaning for the fan base? Nothing. But again, it's just something of team building that, okay, it's something we're competing for. If the Pacers wind up making it there, are they shut down by that point? I would yeah. think for certain Benedict Matherin is shut down by the time the Pacers get to a NBA Summer League championship. You, re- you read my mind because we've already shut down Victor Webb and Yama. And this is common, A little bit way, of a different animal. Last couple years. But I'm looking at the box score from the game last night. There were five guys on the Pacers bench that didn't play. I mean, what are you thinking if you're Nate Lazeski? Uh, let's see, Ethan Thompson didn't play last night. Darius McGee, coach's decision, no play last night. Uh, who else didn't play last night? I think you're having your agent talk to Europe. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> man, I show up to these summer league games, I can't even get like five minutes worth of run, so I want to get these boys some run. Let's get them a little time. I mean, I'm watching the game last night on NBA TV. You got like an all-star cast. I mean, you got Isaiah Thomas as the color guy last night, and uh, um, Elisa Byington was calling the game. I was like, man, we got like an A crew in here calling this game last night. Can I get my guys on the end of bench a little run? So if we're going to get them some run, Jay Cook, we got we to gotta shut somebody down. So who is your Victor Wembenyama candidate 
for the Pacers to shut down at this point in the season? I mean, the the first name that goes down from a shutdown standpoint is Benning Matherin. I mean, there's no real... But now, you almost need to play him more. Like, he's got to... Let me rephrase that. I'm fine with playing the roster as it is through the four standard games everybody gets. If they wind up in the championship rounds or semifinal yeah, rounds of this thing, I mean, it, it's it, there's no... Outside of team building and young rookies getting a feel for what it is to compete for something, which most of them would have gotten that either from the college ranks already or from their time, you know, like Mojave King being with G League Ignite, like you understand competitive basketball at that non-NBA level, you have to really weigh what you're gaining if you have Mather and Nemhart out there. I don't know. I just I would be cautious to push the button towards semifinal and championship of NBA Summer League. If they get there, again, they still have two more games they would have to go through and win. And then I'm not sure fully how the NBA assigns all of that, but you put together a 4-0 record in Summer League, chances are you're going to be playing in championship-like rounds. I'm shutting out Isaiah Jackson, baby. That's my center of the future right there. I mean, that, that's Shut him down. That, that, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, but from a, from a veteran I'm standpoint, 100% kidding. veterans go first. Veterans go first unless rookies are banged up or they look like they're fatigued. Like, for instance, if, if Jairus Walker was talking with Pacers medical staff, this is hypothetical, this didn't happen, but if after the third game he's like, hey, I'm... I'm My really winded. Aches. I need to, yeah. yeah. It, then you shut him down. You don't risk yeah. it. But if nobody complains from an injury standpoint, I mean, do you want to see Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhart in a summer league championship no. game in Las Vegas? I was today years old when you t- when I learned that there's an NBA <laughs> summer league championship. There's a summer league championship. I had no game. idea. Yep. I honestly yep. had no idea. I thought we should play some games. People learn. Nope. We go from there. There were a lot of people in the building last night. I was looking at the crowd. I was like, wow, really? Okay, good. Cool for them. You get to see your players. I would actually, you know what? I mean, if this is really just about a, you've seen enough, you just don't want to risk a guy getting injured. I mean, Andrew Nemhard just knows how to play basketball. He just knows how to play basketball. Like, I, He's not learning anything else out there. I mean, he just, he looks solid. He looks the part, right spot, hits shots, takes care of the basketball. I mean, I'm just a fan. Like, I just, again, I know what you were saying earlier. You need guys based off of their potential ceilings to reach those ceilings in order for this team to be a championship contender, a top three playoff seed type of contender. So I understand who falls into that, whose ceiling is higher than others. But man, the value they've gotten out of Nemhard and where they picked him and how he continues to sort of look, man, kudos to Kevin Pritchard and company. It's, I mean, it's, it's so good. It's top He's, four in the semifinals, by the way. Oh, it goes you. straight to the semifinals. The go. Pacers would be a part of that right now if it ended today. Uh, speaking of shutting things down, potentially, I may shut down my watching of the All Star Game tonight. By the way, seven o'clock here on the Fan. If you're interested in the radio broadcast of that uh, coming up, I might shut down my watching it because they didn't get the rosters right. I'm going to tell you why right after this. Wrapping up hour number one, midday show. Will Haskett in, Jimmy Cook here as well. Beautiful day on the circle. Get out, do something nice, breathe in some fresh air. It's supposed to be a stormy rest of the week. Finally got some rain. Grass is growing. Got to mow the grass tonight. Uh, I've been told that because of the rain that's coming. Yeah, I'm I'm going to try and get out and get 8 o'clock tomorrow morning before the storms get here. Uh, Major League Baseball All-Star Game tonight, 7 o'clock here on The Fan. If you'd like to listen to it, uh, I'll probably watch. But there's a reason why I might not watch. And I'm a diehard Cubs fan. Die hard. It's, I mean, emotionally roller coaster. It's one of the few teams. As someone who's been calling sports since I was 15 years old, it's very hard for me to get emotionally invested in teams. I've had to be kind of a neutral observer. Uh, one of a handful of sports franchises, and it's a very small one, where I would actually 
I mean, I cried when they won the World Series in 2016. Massive Cubs fan, so it pains me to say this. Jimmy, how can we not find a way in 2023 when we can mess around with all sorts of different things? How is Ellie De La Cruz not in the All-Star game tonight? How is he not in how is he not in the All-Star game tonight? I understand it's 30 games. I understand that rosters were set. I understand the fans voted and the starters are fine. But the dude stole second, third, and home like last week. He's batting 325. He's got an OPS at nearly 0.9. Four home runs, electric, future face of the game. I mean, he may fizzle out. He may blow both of his knees out before the end of the year and never be a factor for the Reds again. And I wouldn't be half mad at that. No, I never was. Never say anything bad about a player. Sorry. I didn't say that out loud. Inner monologue got in the way. But he has been worth the price of admission and viewership for the last month for a first place team. And I understand the Reds are represented in this game, not nearly enough for what they've done over the last month. Him not being in the game is a Travis Shea mockery. I mean, you're not going to hear an argument from me. I'll be honest with you. I know when I get peppered via emails, via the MLB app, oh, it's time to vote. Voting for the All-Star game. Get your voting in. I don't know anything about the rules and regulations of when is a player eligible to be voted for, and it was pro- voting was probably done before he even made his debut or close to it. I mean, it w- I feel like the, the initial round of voting would have started. Yeah. Yes, to the point to get on the ballot would have been gone by the time he got yes. called up. I think the last round of voting was as late as the middle to end of June, which again would have been right in the heart of his arrival. So I'm with you. It's a travesty, a sham, and a mockery. It's a travesty sham mockery. I'm not watching tonight. Scott Agnes next. Fan Midday Show on a Tuesday for the DriveHubler.com studios. That's Jimmy Cook. I'm Will Haskett. There are no NBA games tonight. There are no NFL games today. There are no Major League Baseball games today. Uh, the NHL is off. Ice doesn't work very well in the summer. Uh, there's no major professional golf tournament right now. There is a major professional tennis tournament going on. That's probably how far down the ladder you've got to get for us to find a sporting event to talk about, which is why Jimmy and I spent much of the first hour debating the ceilings future and overreactions to a Pacers summer league team that is off to a 2-0 start. Excuse me, sir. There are many summer league games going on today. So, no, I mean, come official on Official NBA I didn't know we were putting that games. designation on it because got some summer league content if you need it. Well, a guy that's probably getting ready to just walk right back into the arena and watch some more summer league games joins us now. You know him from Fieldhouse Files and all of the top work he does covering the Pacers. So here to walk me back off the ledge of overreacting to summer league play is my buddy scott agnes your buddy as well everybody's buddy hey scott <laughs> hello will you sure went down the list before we got to summer league didn't you that hurt me well i mean not the you know summer i was league. there for you i, mean, don't worry I said it. there's no actual <laughs> nba games it's uh, scott sure. i find myself sitting in this room more often than not this week of the year because everybody takes off because there's no sports to talk about so we've got to find something to talk about um Let's go. Do you want to give him the glass half full or the glass half empty question? Which Wait, hey, Scott, how much are you up? Oh, yeah, that's true. How's the, <laughs> how's the, how long I, have I been up? No, no, no. no, no. How, how much money roll? are you up? How's yeah. the bankroll? Oh, no, uh, not up right now. <laughs> not up. That's right. So always time to get it back, including those slot machines at the airport, which are actually not rigged to be. Definitely not. Um, yeah, definitely not. No. 
And I've I've definitely never taken part in one of those. Oh, I have. <laughs> of course you have. Right on your way out of the out of town, just slip a twenty in never. there, see if you can get lucky. No, okay. Um, all right. Well, in that <laughs> those case, are set up for failure. Gotcha. As if others aren't. So if he's down, I'm going to go with the down question. We've been talking a lot about Benedict Matherin and the I'll call it the robust stat line that is his usage rate these first two games in the summer league Scott I want to know how can I phrase this the best possible positive way what do you take from how the Pacers are using Matherin in this summer for what they want to see out of his development as a hopeful number two star running mate to Tyrese Halliburton yeah, I think the the first thing with Ben and, and really all of these guys in the starting lineup is just getting them reps. Like rather, Ben would be playing, you know, pickup games today in Vegas or you know wherever he is, he'd be playing. So his thought is, I might as well be playing. I want to be out there. He's you know he never turns down a game. Now in terms of what he's doing, um, the, the one thing that has been frustrating to me, and I, I've kind of laughed about it a, a little bit, is is how during the practices they kept talking about how um, and offered up how, you know, Ben's really impressed is how not only is he playmaking, but he's setting his teammates up. He's really getting after it and then finding them in the right spots. And, you know, I really didn't think we've seen that through the first game and a half, but I thought that did change in the second half uh, last night. And then ultimately he ended up with uh, six assists. So I like that. There were just too many times where we saw him take, take on one on three and yeah. I was like, what are we doing here? And, and on top of that, he wasn't having success. And if you're not having success here, you're not going to have success during the regular season when the talent's 10 times as better and players are already established. So I, I, I honestly just think this is more reps and to, and to see what he looks like with these different pieces, especially with Nemhard and Jarris Walker, guys that were, will for certain be on the court with him. So safe to assume, at least going in, the thought would have been that either Pacers brass or coaching staff out there in summer league would have said, Ben, this is your show. We want you to be a driver to show us what you're able to do. And that's not to say it would take away from Tyrese Halliburton being the main captain of this ship, but you want him to be a, another valuable piece that can not only shot create, but also set his teammates up for success. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think a guy, a competitor like him, I think he probably realizes, hey, look, I'm, I'm supposed to be the star of this show. I am the star of this team. The first game's on ESPN2. I'm going to put on a show. I'm going to go for 40. Like, we're, we're going to win, and I'm going to put on a show. That's at least kind of the vibe and the oh. feel that I got. Um, and, it, you know, and he hadn't played in three or four months with a, reg, a real game. So part of me understands it and realizes, all right, like it's not that deep. But also, Will, to your point earlier, yeah, there's some functional things um, within the team aspect that you are looking at. Because I'm not looking at results. I don't care about team results out here. Nobody really does. That's why we laugh about it. But there's playoffs, apparently. Jimmy just informed me there's a championship. championship. Come on, now. Guys, there are rings for some of (laughs) the Yes, there are. are Yes, there are. (laughs) Woo! And here's the thing that's most appalling about (laughs) that, really, is look down the roster. Those guys at the end of the bench, they don't care about the results. They're trying to earn a job. And they're not trying to necessarily even earn a job in the G League. There's European scouts and overseas and in Australia that are also in these stands. That, more than anything, I feel like, are what these games are about now almost moving forward. You you spent the first two games setting your core, and, and I got a laugh before the game. Uh, I was standing near a Hornets staff member, and they turned to someone else and goes, can you believe the Pacers are playing their core guys? Magic are about to get their butt whooped. And guess what would happen? Like, yep. 
because the Pacers had so much talent out there. So, again, you take it for what it is, but I do laugh at the fact that there are, there are summer league championship rings on the line. Look forward to seeing one of those hit the resale market here in a couple of years. There were 10 guys on the Orlando Magic roster that didn't play last night. Just, I'm just going to just throw that out there, according to the box score. 10 guys didn't I play. I mean, you've you got to get a spot in the – Semifinals, you got to shrink that I rotation. Might as, I might as well, I, mean, like, I might as well try out for the summer league team. <laughs> just sit the pie and see if I can get a ring out of this deal. All right, Scott, I'm gonna one more on Ben. Um, I guess having watched these games, this sort of led to the question, and I'll, I guess I kind of double back down on this: is that if he reaches his potential, uh, this kind of leads into a transition. I'm going to ask later about Jarris Walker too. It's like, what is what's the potential superpower trait? of Benedict Matherin if he evolves into an NBA superstar? What what will it be that we're like, oh, that is what makes him special that we're trying to develop right now? I think the overwhelming thing is the bulldog mentality. What do everybody talk about with Jimmy Butler? He can take over. He, he's not, he refuses to lose. He, he's in it no matter what. I think it starts with that. Now, more specifically, I would say you're down and need a bucket. Maybe he can go play, make, he can attack. He did a great job, made his first eight free throws last night. He's always been good at getting to the free throw line. So I think that's another way um, where really you could count on him. But I, I think his his superpower, to your point, is just his overwhelming bulldog mentality and you know never wants to lose out there. Scott, how close are we? I, don't, I hate to have the negative aspect of this, but you've seen Weminyama do it now. How close are we from a Pacers standpoint to any shutdowns happening and – who are the most likely to be shut down? I, I think anybody that is not a rookie would be, yeah, definitely easy choice. But when you look at a couple guys out there, Jackson, Nemhart, Matherin, who's most likely to be shut down the further the Pacers progress through this thing? Yeah, I think, the, like you said, the veterans are kind of obvious, those three. And yesterday we talked with two of them, Nemhart and Jackson, and both confirmed they're done. So I, I think it's almost nearly automatic that Matherin's included in that bunch. Personally, I, I would expect Jarris to play at least one more. I could see Shepard playing at least a couple more. And then game five usually is for those end-of-bench guys, given the guys that have, have gotten zero minutes, like uh, Ethan Thompson, Robert Woodard, you know, Darius McGee out there, um, for them to get a little bit of reps and shine. So um, I would not expect any of those first- and second-year guys to play tomorrow's game. The Jarris Walker passing mixtape is already, I think, uh, trending in <laughs> yeah. social media circles. Uh, all the tools, Scott, I, it, it's been, I think, more impressive in two games, just kind of what they thought they had and then what we've sort of been able to see as fans. Um it kind of goes back. It's what I said it was going to be kind of a tie-in question to Matherin. It just feels like Walker's kind of a glue guy. I don't know what his ceiling is in terms of you know, being a number two scoring threat or being, you know, whatever it might be, but it's like all of the little things that he does so well. And I led the show talking about this with Jimmy, and I apologize for the long nature of this question, is that I feel like if this was a team, if you were the Pacers and you were the fourth seed or the fifth seed last year in the Eastern Conference, and you were deficient at the four spot, that Walker immediately turns your team into, wow, we can do things this year. But when he's a guy coming into a team that didn't even make the play in last year, what can we? How can this team utilize his skills? Like, what do they do to utilize him to be better? Because it's like, I mean, you talk about a glue guy. He just looks like a glue guy, right? Like a guy you just want to have on your roster. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair assessment entirely. The number one thing his teammates have have hyped up in the, just the first ten days is being an energy guy, having a contagious vibe out there. 
Um, and then also I thought something interesting and came from the second game is uh, summer league head coach Gennaro Pargo was like, yeah, I, I felt I restricted him a little bit in the first game. And um, that was my bad. And here in the second game, that's why you saw him create a little bit more, bring the ball up a little bit more, um, those sorts of things. And, and I thought, uh, that was that was kind of the big takeaway I thought from Jairus in, in game two was you, uh, you could sense his create creativity a little bit more. Then he go behind the back one time, and we know he can block. We know what he can do uh, in terms of getting the basket. He tried to show off that that kind of running floater a little bit from five feet out or so, ten feet out. I thought that was something he displayed a little bit. But no, yeah, I see him ultimately as kind of that connector on the team, guy that's diving after it, hustling, hopefully getting the rebound. His his rebounding numbers have been lower than I was expecting, but Isaiah Jackson gobbled up a ton more than I would have expected. And then when you got Deshiboy running with that second unit primarily, you know he's going to get all the rebounds. So I think with Jarris, it's it's the next step for him will really be in improving that shot, um, getting more sound defensively. Uh, he's been really happy with the way he's been able to switch off the guards and, and show off that versatility, which is what, what all those the coaches around him have really liked and saw during those pre-draft workouts. And he's been able to show here. Scott Agnes with us. You can find all his work and subscribe to his work with Fieldhouse Files. Of course, one of our very own here on 107.5thefan.com. Scott, we know Summer League as a national convention for everybody who is anybody involved with the association. And we know that oftentimes still trade conversations or conversations with GMs are inevitable to come up. I don't know how legitimate this actually is because like you, whenever I see the Pacers involved with a name, nationally i tend to think it's just a tool it's not legitimate pascal siakam's name came up yesterday as a potential destination trade between the pacers and the raptors if we're playing that out let's say something like that happens and jairus walker obi Toppin, miles turner for instance are still here what does a pacers lineup look like if they were to acquire somebody like siakam yeah, those are very real. I was I was trying to actually that was one of those rare times where I was trying to save it and include it in my summer league story um, and drop it in, and uh, that did not work out. But Pacers uh, are absolutely in- interested in, in Siakam. The trouble is he's in that contract year, and so that makes it ultimately complicated here because you're not going to send out all kinds of assets for a guy who has not signaled that he'd be willing to re-sign anywhere uh, that he heads right now. But uh, in terms of lineup, I I think that, yeah, that would be fascinating. Um, For one, Toppin only has one more year under contract, so I think that would be kind of wait and see exactly what you you have. I think Walker probably would then be uh, obvious – player to come off the bench there but the, the, the what Siakam brings is he has not only the height but the length and athleticism that I, I think the team still lacks like they have so many guys that are six five guards um now they've upgraded a little bit like you said with Walker with Obi Toppin and then even last trade deadline with Jordan Wara um but um that, that would that would I think automatically almost make them into the playoff conversation not just expectations but what they should be demanded of but now, now I think they would be that would automatically bring them right there in that conversation where they're not yet championship contenders, but man, they are absolutely relevant with if they could do something like that. But I don't think it's even gone to um, anything beyond exploratory conversations. Sure. We're talking to Scott Agnes and Scott. This is sort of a broader picture, I guess, as we start to kind of put all these pieces together. The one thing that gives 
the fan base such hope for this team is that you have so many pieces but depth can only take this team so far we're a year removed from them talking about rebuild rebuild who knows how long that might take that obviously is accelerated a little bit by the quality play that you got out of all of the acquisitions and sort of accumulating all of these resources I guess at what point in time and a lot of this has to depend on you know what the product looks like on the court the first two three months of the season but like, how soon would you anticipate then trying to see a bigger sort of move? Because right now, there's just not enough minutes for the number of, I guess, I you say quality players, but they're not like you're going to win a championship quality players. They're just quality sort of bodies. So to take that next step, you're probably going to have to move some of that quantity for higher quality. Where do you think we are in that timeline? I thought I thought we might start seeing that this summer, quite frankly, Will, because you're right. The key word I've been using is roster consolidation. That's absolutely yeah, where they're at right now, it, yeah. where where they could really use condensing. You know, and um, one of the guard spots, they absolutely have to do one of the center spots, and I think they will um, uh, upcoming. Right? We do, we have Daniel Tice, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, all in the reserve minute spot. Isaiah's here at Summer League. Maybe you read into that. Maybe you don't. Um, he is the the youngest of those group players as well. But, um, I, yeah, if you could move off of one or even two of those guys um, and then one of the guards, then then things start to get really interesting. Maybe you consider for the first time uh, moving on from a guy like T.J. McConnell, who's uh, more of a veteran. But, um, but at the same time, he's also one of those guys that it, he provides those intangibles that you really need. Um, throughout a long 82-game season. Uh, Buddy Heald's the guy everybody seemingly talks about, but this Pacers team can't have enough shooting. He plays so well with Tyrese. Um, But, yeah, I think they're absolutely at a point in time right now, Will, where if there's a right deal, you start considering packages that include Buddy, Jalen Smith, Isaiah, all those um, different guys that you're willing to bundle together to try to go – get you a potential all-star or all-star. The trouble is it's so darn difficult to acquire one of those guys. And usually, and especially in the last year since the Rudy Gobert trade, it's been astronomical what it takes. It might take, you know, at the trade deadline, they were, the Raptors are wanting five first-round picks yeah. for OG and Anobi. <laughs> OG has never been an all-star. Yeah. I would not send out five first-round picks. Now, maybe if you're talking like the back end of the draft like the Pacers had this year with like 26 and 29. All right, those two aren't that great anyway, but that's what they're dealing with right now. How far away are we when you look at where this roster is at and you look at, as you mentioned, the the difficulty for teams to want to take risks, particularly of small market variety, on expiring contracts or or big-time player with assets like that? How far away are we from the Raptors being in a position where, okay, a year ago, five first-round picks was a fair, well, not fair, but a, a, I get where they're coming from request because of the Rudy Gobert trade. How far away for me from the ripple effects of that fading away and we're back to more normalized conversations for how many first-rounders should be sent for star players? Or will we ever get there? For sure, yeah. I, the funny part about that and talking with people out here is, is some have been like, yeah, we all kind of throw that out anyway, just because we all laugh at that value. Like, we all recognize that was some new, a new ownership coming in and saying we want a specific guy and, and vastly overpaying. So, in some respects, some think it's already moved on. I haven't seen that, not in some of these. I mean, we even saw the trade deadline guys, even fringe guys, were going for like four second-round picks. It's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> right. Um, 
<laughs> it, it was ridiculous. But uh, the challenge, for example, like Toronto, I think they're very much focused on re-signing OG and an OB, um, having him part of their core moving forward. They got a new coach. Seems like they're rebuilding on the fly, like the Pacers tried to all those years ago, and it really didn't work out. But um, that's why it's Pascal is growing more likely to be available and a guy they could move off of. I think he's 29, so he wouldn't fit that younger timeline if they try to kind of restart now that some players have moved on, like a Fred Van Vliet, et cetera. Kyle Lowry, no longer there anymore. Give me something going on in summer league that no one's talking about that you found interesting. It doesn't have to be Pacers related. I, I'm always fascinated by the legends that come out and hang out. And so right in front of us at Press Row the, for each of the two games, Jerry West. No big deal. Just casually sitting there, right? And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I went over to NBA Con, which is like a fan fest or convention center or whatever. Both times, the line was over 100. Like, I couldn't even count. I stopped counting. Um, just, it, it's fascinating to see the number of people just lining up and how hospitable he is to taking photos and signing autographs. And um, just those guys. I, so, I, so beyond the summer league and stuff on the court, that's one thing I've really enjoyed. I'll, I'll add one more thing here too, Will. It feels like summer league's outgrowing itself. It's that's wow. even more so. It's less about the basketball, and there's less of those mingling conversations uh, between team executives in the hallway or with agents, just because it's overflowed with people. The first three days were sold out. I only remember the kind of day one being sold out, and twice before. Now you got a whole weekend sold out, um, and it's just jam packed, um, hot in the gym actually for a first. So. Uh, more about entertainment and putting on a show and having a fan fest and basketball once more. What's the pulse on Damian Lord out there? Any, any whispers? Any any nuggets? That I'll you give you up? two second round picks for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's mostly like, hey, sit back and wait. Uh, it seems like Joe Cronin has the appetite to do what Daryl Morey did with Ben Simmons, and that worked out for Daryl Morey and what he was able to get. And so uh, there, that there wouldn't be a rush, and he shouldn't have to rush in to any deal because while Dame wants to go to Miami, and he has signaled that very publicly, uh, at the same time, what Miami has to offer is not nearly the best package. And so uh, really the tra- trailblazers to relate it to Indiana are very much in the situation like Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers were in back in, uh, what, 2017, when he was a month on the job and, and kind of asked out. Remember, he wanted to go to the Lakers, tried to go to the Lakers, and the Pacers sat back. They had packages. They, they were close with, with Denver, with Cleveland, but ultimately found uh, – and that was a fantastic package when you look back at it now in hindsight. And, and Sabonis and Oladipo mm-hmm. both became multi-all-stars. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Scott, uh, I am a golf broadcaster who's fascinated by the NBA. You're an NBA a writer, journalist, who's obviously fascinated by golf. So there's a lot of crossover when it comes to the business world. Adam Silver had to come out yesterday and, as Jimmy Cook put it, put up the Heisman stiff arm to deflecting <laughs> questions about sovereign wealth potentially at some point in time being a part of it. It was just interesting to me that the question was asked because in my world it's obviously here, now, present, and future when it comes to it. What did you make of that? And Are there any teams that are kind of like on the brink that we feel like are going to be on the market soon? Yeah, so so the the last one obviously that it hadn't gone final yet, uh, it, but is working towards that is obviously Charlotte with Michael yeah, Jordan. Yeah, sure. Um, and I actually didn't see that specific comment, but the interesting thing in the bigger picture is what we've seen in the last couple of months, and that's the Washington Wizards moving towards that. 
So I, I assume that was with that context. Well, yeah, Qatar mind. has five percent of the Wizards. It's, it's whatever the the group is that owns the the yeah. Wizards, the Mystics, yeah. the Capitals, and I want to say maybe even one other franchise is a conglomerate. And part of that conglomerate, five percent of that ownership, is the Qatari. Um, wealth fund or whatever it is sovereign wealth fund but that's about as close as we have in the nba of foreign money ownership yeah and that was that was part of the new collective bargaining agreement allowing that they could that that something like that could be possible but it could not have any controlling interest or anything like that so it was trying to keep a minimum but also opening itself up for those possibilities i forget what night it was maybe it was like the day after the draft or whatever when people were signing but it was it was basically your friday afternoon news drop something big happened i think oh i think it was the bradley beal trade and like an hour later they tried to quietly slip it in that the wizards are on the verge of adding a sovereign wealth fund to their ownership group right. and, um so yeah that that's something i'm sure the entire league is watching developing as that that those groups try to invest here mm. Scott, always great stuff. Uh, tell Benedict to pass the ball a little bit more if he gets uh, on the court for game three. That'd be helpful. And uh, we will continue reading everything you've got for us. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Scott Agnes is on his way to a craps table right now to try and get it all back, baby. The only way to get it back is to spend more. That is the Vegas mantra. Got to spend Imagine. money to win money. Yeah, you got to. How are you going to climb yourself out? Ooh, you want you boy. want a ladder? That rope ladder is in the form of another parlay. Have you played, have you ever played craps? No. I've played blackjack, lost like 50 so, you know, bucks. It's the best odds, right? Blink of an eye. So sure. at one point in time, I downloaded like an app on my phone, and I just spent like hours on planes and stuff like playing craps. Sure. And it had the little, you know, this is what you do, and it, it taught me some things. I still don't have the, I still don't have the courage to walk up to a table. I just don't. It feels like one of those spaces. Like I'm one of those guys at a blackjack table. Like I don't really get bent out of shape if like the guy in front of me, you know, hits on uh, hits on like 15 with a dealer showing a six. It's like okay, you're an idiot. Like the odds are (laughs) you're doing something like. And if the whole like oh the shoe you messed it up for the rest of us is just that's baloney. It's like the cards are what the cards are. The next card is the next card. Like let's just be honest. And sure if they flash them whatever who cares. Like you're costing yourself money. You're hurting your odds. You're actually not hurting my odds. Like in the world of it. Sure. So I don't. So, I mean, I get the knee-jerk reaction, though, I get if it's it. a person next to you and they get a four and you were on 17. It. Hey, That is bad luck. It could have happened the other way, but then maybe that move in and of itself changes how the next hand is dealt, the next hand sure. is dealt, and the next hand is dealt, and I'm on a heater. So it's... Got to play the long game. Yeah. So I'm not that guy that gets kind of, you know, cranky at the table. Let's have fun. Let's have some drinks. Let's cheer on each other. Let's strike up a conversation with the dealer. Let's have some fun. I'm not going anywhere near that. I mean, the craps table. Like, those people know what they're doing, and I do not... Want to make a mistake there? I mean, it's bad enough. You've probably been that guy. You go to a roulette table, you put something down, and the person's like, "Sir, sir, sir, don't you know? You don't touch this. You're not allowed to touch that. You know, you don't know when you're allowed to put the Correct. chips on the table or move your chips around. Once you put a chip down, you can't move it. They have to move it for you. There's a lot of things that are sort of going on. But as much as I think I know what's going on in craps, I still I don't know what it's ever going to take in my life to have the confidence to walk up there. And I, actually, I do know what it is. I have to be a millionaire. If I'm a millionaire. I could just walk up there and just drop a stack down and be like, "This is my table, and I'm playing." And that's going to be the whole town should be asking for advice from the guy. Like, what do you think I should do here? <laughs> Hey, a uh, guy with the stick that collects the dice. What should I do here? Should I just pass line the whole time? Pass line? Okay, we'll just put it on the pass line. Put it on the pass line, please. Hard twos. You got to take the leap. I don't know. That's, but that's the game. That's the game where you actually can, quote unquote, make money. 
I've never played it. Could have done on the home run derby last night. Could have made some money there. Yeah. Are we live betting this Djokovic match? What are we done? The odds oh, quickly went the oh, other way. Oh, do we hit that? Did we hit it? No, it, well, but by the time, and I don't blame Nathaniel for this, by the way, because he was just an informant for us, let us know in the break, hey, minus 250 on Novak Djokovic. I was like, oh man, that might be something to jump just on. Just put it's, the whole account on that one. I, I thought about it, and then by the time I thought about it, it was minus 575, and I was like, all right, we'll just let it play. I mean, Iga Swatek lost earlier today, so anything is possible. We'll break down all of the women's French, uh, excuse me, we're French, all the women's Wimbledon scores coming up next. Halfway home on a Tuesday, we'll ask it. Jimmy Cook here with you. We got top C. I was actually joking going in the tees, but if you want to hear what's happening in Wimbledon, I'm more than happy to give you all the scores from today. Yannick Sinner wins on the men's side quarterfinal. He's in the semifinals. Novak Djokovic a set apiece with Andre Rublev in the third set right now. They're on serve. American Jessica Pagula loses on the women's side. So I have a follow up when you're done. Wow. If you want to cheer on a U.S. tennis player, I guess we got Madison Keys still to play or she already lose on the ladies' side. And then we've got um, Christopher. Help me out here. I was thinking about this yesterday. What is Christopher? I can Jackson? pull up like Eubanks. in my brain. Christopher Eubanks, yeah. Golfer names, and I and I can know what Tennis I'm doing navigating right through a major, through Wimbledon. Tennis is hard right now. Well, I'll hard. watch once we get to the final. I'll watch it, 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 if Djokovic evolves, but otherwise, or Djokovic is evolved, then I'm then I'll watch. Otherwise, no, I'm good. It's it's American tennis has taken, especially on the men's side, has been so irrelevant at the top of the sport. And right now, there's actually a pretty good crop of young players. I mean, Francis TFO looked awful over the weekend. He was the highest-seeded American, I believe, um, at number 10, and just didn't even show up in his, I guess it would have been a third-round match against Dimitrov, and was bounced kind of early. But Christopher Eubanks played collegiately. Uh, he's from Georgia. He didn't play at Georgia, though. Where did he play in college? I know this. Like Georgia Tech, maybe, or Wake Forest, or something like that. Big, tall guys, like six seven. He's playing really good. Won his first ATP event coming into this week and knocked out the fifth seed yesterday. So he's kind of the American hope. But the thing about it was is when there was no American man that was relevant in tennis for a long period of time, really post-Andy Roddick, I mean, you had a couple of guys that were kind of in the mix, but no one that had the star power or the major winning potential that Roddick had. We at least had this run of yeah, I would Nadal, Federer, Federer right. and Djokovic, yes. and you sort of like, you picked your side, Correct. right? You could still technically have the who's the greatest tennis player of all time argument. I mean, Djokovic could end up winning the Grand Slam this year, and if he does, it probably slams the door on any debate that you want to have about that one but it was fun to have the it was like all those years when we here in Indianapolis probably even past when it was logical to have the argument could still have the Manning versus Brady debate you know who you are like I'm one of those people too it's like it was definitely Manning for a while and then it became a 50-50 conversation and then for then you knew it was Brady but you still made your case like we all dug our heels in and made the, the Manning argument against our friends from New England or anywhere else even though we knew we were probably making a losing argument and then eventually it was like oh geez well can't even try and have that anymore in a tennis world you could kind of have that argument so at least provided this nice decade worth of American um, anonymity in the men's game because you could just pick your guy. Sure, you could just front run with one of those three guys sure. and just ride it. And, and now, I would always watch Serena really and Venus that. on the women's side. Oh again, yeah, yeah, that's like it, it, 
It just there's no doubt the new age of stars is not there for me for a point to lock in. But that wasn't my question for you. My question was, you had done the tennis voice. What's the difference in fluctuation there? Golf voice, tennis voice, about the same, a little bit louder. Tennis, the tennis is voice, easiest sport to broadcast because you don't have to say anything. Like, but if, I mean, when you pick your spot, when you do really speak, because um, you went quiet voice there, but not quite golf quiet voice. Oh, that was I think just it was for effect, out of respect I, for Wimbledon and. You know, oh, okay. You wear the, white, the, and sure. you know how can the you serve strawberries as your main dish when you're requiring everybody to wear white? Like, it just seems it's a dangerous game. I understand it's cream, so like the, you can spill the cream and get away with it, but any of that strawberry juice gets on the white blouse or the the white shirt, and you're yep, it's game over. Yeah, you're hurting for the rest of the day. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's a tough look to try and you know from a play by play standpoint. It's been a long time since I've called tennis, and a lot of the tennis I did was you know on the on the web or not nearly as fancy as what you'll see if you're flipping over to ESPN right now and you're watching it on TV so you had to tell a little bit more there's like a little bit more play by play like within the point like you'd have to kind of point out like where the ball was or what it meant to the point but i've always found tennis to be a bit more straightforward in how you address it than yeah if i'm sitting there not on a green and i've got to really talk quietly but sure. still with a full breadth of voice for a guy lining up a putt for birdie from 10 feet <laughs> It's a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you watch this. Half the – not half. I would say 80% of the people calling tennis anymore aren't even play-by-play or announcers by trade. They're past players, and they're just having a conversation in and out of breaks and sometimes in between points. But you could go from love 15 to 40-30 and never hear someone talk anymore on a televised tennis. You don't need them. Now, there is tennis on the radio, um, and they have an in – I don't think you see it at Wimbledon. I haven't seen the people at the earpieces, but watch at the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open, you'll see everybody sitting in the stands, and they'll have like an earpiece in one of their ears. Okay, and that's on site. It's a great company. They've done this for some golf tournaments I've worked before. Is they'll have people. Oh, fans will have it. Fans will have it. Yeah, they had them at the Final Four. Uh, I'll never forget it. At, you know, Butler, Duke, Butler, Michigan State. Like. I had one of those souvenir, you know, vendors were selling yeah. them and you just get the radio call. You on get that. the radio call on that. And so they'll do, they'll have an in-house radio call of the tennis match that they're watching. But say you're on, say you're at center court watching on the first weekend of the U S open. They'll also then be providing maybe a match look into court one, or I guess there it's from Louis Armstrong to Arthur Ashe. Sure. Um, court two maybe they'll have a roving reporter here they'll do an interview here so you could be sitting there watching the second set of the third round against a couple of you know eastern europeans that you don't really know but you're still getting the play-by-play of an exterior court or if it comes down to the big one you can hear that the guy is getting excited and doing some of the calls Uh, and that's that's a really cool touch and i think something that could be done in a lot of different places i don't really know like if you went to i know a lot of people do this for some Colts games where they'll go and they'll take the radio and they'll listen to Matt Taylor on the call and get some of the insight from, you know, coach or anything like that. Sure. Obviously anybody that goes to a race, you know, we're accustomed to bringing along the sophisticated folks will bring the, the full scanner. So you can get the radio broadcast or you can listen into the conversation between spotters and the pits and drivers. Or if you just want to hear the radio call that to me seems more, needed because your eyes can't see mm-hmm. all of the event that's going on especially at the 500 but yeah wow, what a weird segment this I is. mean there can't be delays for me though from that standpoint 
And that too mm. often happens with if you try to do it on your phone or if you try to yeah, do it phones on phones. Like, yeah, hard. Like it, the thing with what you mentioned at the US Open and what was at the Final Four when you have a little earpiece over your ear is it's connected in house with no delay. So it's live yeah. and you're seeing everything and hearing it as it's happening. Yeah, the person that's calling it's, you know, sitting right below you sure. in a little booth, you know, being able to call it. Yeah, I, uh, it's um, calling tennis is, I think it's really, really easy. Just let it happen. It, it's more about the prep. It's more about having information about those players to work in because there's not a whole lot you're saying. Although I, I will give them a lot of, I, I'll give them some grief. I've watched so much Wimbledon over the last 10 days. Do you know how much data they have at their fingertips in these matches? I know it's insane it's because insane. I've seen IBM or whoever it is. And they don't incorporate about, it yeah. enough. They don't say like this, you know, every now and then the first serve percentage or this guy is winning 80% of his first serve points or when he gets his first serve in, like whatever it might be. But they do not use ball placement data nearly enough in these tennis broadcasts as they do in some other high data traffic sports. I know that we're just bringing in the audience right now talking about data and country club sports. Like I'm sure you guys are riveted by this and not flipping through the dial on this. By the way, I lost a uh, Djokovic bet. Uh, I wanted to be in on the live party, and it's so tough to find anything of value. So I bet him to win one of the games uh, of this fifth set or of this third set. Uh, he lost. So Lost Wait, that game, oh, not you, the set, but I just bet an bet individual bet game. They're on serve. I just put a random bet down. I was not looking well, at where we were. Don't bet him to break serve. That's why it was a dollar wager, okay? I just wanted to be involved Jeez, in Wimbledon. I mean, he's good, but he's not like guaranteed to break him. Made every me time. yell in front of Gwen. Now I feel bad. Nah, she's got headphones on. She's fine. Do we need to skip Jay Cook's bets today with how bad he was on that one? No, no, no. I mean, no, no. I mean we I need mean, to. I, I like the idea of live bet Jay Cook today. We'll just look up. We got doubles on over here. We got Coco Goff and I also have a wire Jessica in front Pagula, of the, the box who lost earlier today. So I didn't. I couldn't judge where it was at. Okay, already down a set. Number two seed playing doubles. I mean, we could we could bet this doubles match. Um, I've lost my complete train of thought here, Jimmy. We were talking about oh t- oh data and stuff. That's where I don't. I know you don't need a tennis match where a guy is talking over all the action, and a lot of these broadcasters are right there, so they can't talk because it's so quiet in there that they have to be completely silent during the actual point itself. But they know everything now. And these players afterwards are going back and they're like, oh my gosh, like I hit 75% of my forehands open, you know, like instead of cross court or right back to the guy. Like I feel like they don't do that enough. We don't discuss trends. And so, unless you have a really compelling personality, how can you, it's not manufacturing, but how can you build the drama within a match to say what a player is or isn't doing right or is doing wrong? Without just being like, oh, yeah, it looks like they're getting out hustled. So I feel like there's a lot of room for improvement when I watch tennis of them telling me technically what's happening throughout the course of the match short of, oh, this guy's just not getting enough first serves in. Well, duh. Okay. Yeah, we get that. Like, get your first serves in. Well, it's the same kind of complex situation that golf has faced the last decade post Tiger of how do you make people or what get involved? To yeah, well, across the board. But but the thing that saves tennis, right, for an American viewer was you could hitch your wagon to a Djokovic, or you could do it for a Federer Serena. or an Adal, Serena. Serena like you, you would have yeah. that ability to do that. Golf for a lot of people, it was Tiger, and so in that same vein, we now have that next wave of of high-level stars, nobody to Tiger's lengths, but enough where golf has figured it out to a point where, okay, we can show you something that'll draw you in 
particularly for majors. Like that's very disheartening if you're a tennis fan, which I know is nobody listening right now, that Wimbledon does not have that same allure right now that it should with nothing else going up against it outside of, oh, they shut down Victor Wimbanyama in Las Vegas. This has been 10 Minutes of Tennis Talk here on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Will Haskett providing all of your astute analysis of the championships, Wimbledon. By the uh, way, your Pacers viewage, will it drop, stay the same, or oh, increase when, when players get shut down? Oh, 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 when players get shut down this summer? I think I've watched my last summer league game. Okay. So you won't be bring Jason. I think the only thing I wanted to see out of the summer league was how Jairus Walker looked. And that was the, my baseline. And the fringe yeah. benefit has been... Seeing Andrew Nembhard be a complete player, the fr- the negative, the is negative has point, been yeah. watching Matherin just you know ball hog dominate and driving trip. By, by the way, I looked up your uh, the stats you were talking about. Eighth highest leading score. Eighth highest leading league. score <laughs> of the top scores in the summer league. There are just two of them. Two. I take that back. Three in. The, of anybody averaging 15, 16 points or more, so this has got to be, I don't know, 40 names? Only three of them are shooting less than 40% from the field. Yeah, but he's got a plus-minus of 17. <laughs> Thank you for that advanced <laughs> statistical knowledge, Jimmy, on that one. 35%. He's the lowest shooter of them. The only player on the first page who's shooting worse than Benedict Matherin, who's averaging 15 points or more, is Indy's own Jake LaRavia. Gosh darn it. Come on, Jake. <laughs> Put the ball in the bucket, son. He cut my grass once, Jake LaRavia. Yeah? Yeah. Nice kid. Great family. Does that mean you get a ring? I hope so. <laughs> hope so. I mean, if the guys that don't play any minutes in the summer league get a ring, I should, you know, there should be some sort of thing there. So, yeah. Uh, again, There's usage, confetti. There's a trophy presentation. I only wanted line, to see how Jerry Walker played. Um, okay, so we did 10 minutes on tennis here on the second boringest day of, and I know that boringest is not a word. I drove us back to Vegas. I did what I could. The second most boring day of sports of the year. Um, uh, Harry Kane going to go to Germany. <laughs> He's leaving Tottenham. You wanna get, Do you, you wanna, have any idea how even just you for the get bit, in on that one? Do you have any idea how even just for the bit I've seen ESPN headlines the last three weeks and seen it's all transfer window stuff or rumors for the oh summer and being like, I could bring up this just for laughs just and for nobody fun. would understand it all. You want to get in a hazing at Northwestern? <laughs> nope, don't no, want to talk about not that. Really. Pat Fitzgerald's firing back. Yeah, there's lawyers involved. That's going to be super fun for them no you know what we've gone an hour 43 minutes and 23 seconds without talking about the colts we will break our silence and we'll hear from the owner coming up if not a ban 15 days away from the beginning of colts training camp welcome back to the fan midday show that means 15 more days of us talking about absolute nothing how dare you when it comes to the colts it will be practices that mean something there will be positional battles there will be inevitable injuries that will hurt some position group coming up into the preseason and into the season you hope you can dodge all of that but obviously jimmy it will be a training camp that will be 95 percent focused on how a certain quarterback who was drafted in a certain draft this summer at a certain high pick in the first round looks that's really what it goes to now he's not beetlejuice you can say apparently you know right? anthony richardson looks really really good playing <laughs> basketball and has embraced the indianapolis community is here yep 
and I'm assuming is getting himself in the best shape of his life, like they all do. They all arrive at camp in the best shape of their life, motivated to prove the doubters wrong, to stick it to the haters, to build the chip on their shoulder and show everybody what they're made of. I just hope, like, do you think with Reggie Wayne on the coaching staff that there's going to be, like, that some of these guys are going to try and outdo Reggie? Like, they're going to find old four by three non HD videos of Reggie's arrival at training camps back in the day and be like, oh man, I want to come, I want to come into camp like that guy did. I'm not even going to put it with all due respect on the front of this. There's nobody in that receiving room that comes close to the type of player that Reggie Wayne was. I'm not about the player. I'm just talking about making an oh, entrance. Oh, just, just the entrance. Yeah, just the just, show. Sure, yeah. I mean, I why some not? Showmanship. Have some one-up. Yeah, that's fine. I thought you meant like they're going to go out to prove to be how they're going to be as good or better than Reggie Wayne was. And I just, you know, that's not on this receiving room. There will be polls. There will be prop bets. There will be pools. There will be schedule win-loss simulations that we all haven't done All of yet. that we'll stuff that it. I have avoided. And this may be the last time I'm ever <laughs> talking to this microphone. So I'm probably gonna all I have to do is avoid it for another hour and eleven minutes. The uh the 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 pool will be when Anthony Richardson finally makes a start. And as Nathaniel quickly gets ready to hit the button to play the sound, according to the owner, the expectations may mean that we see him sooner rather than later. This was with Pat McAfee. I mean, look at as you guys know, Peyton's here, we're three and thirteen the first year, you know, and and uh, that's a guy who played a lot of college games and, um, you know, was really prepared as oh, much as he could be for the league. So for Anthony Richardson, it's going to be it's going to be tough. We know that. Oh, no. But he has to play to get better. I mean, there's no question, you know, Gardner could come out and, you know, obviously play better early on just being, being a veteran. But we have to get Anthony on the field. And that's, you know, Shane's call when he decides to do it. So that was Jim Irsay on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. Um, Wide-ranging conversation with the owner of the Colts. That probably the most insightful soundbite. We're going to have Mike Chappell coming up at the top of the hour. Jimmy, we know that what Chappie will say if we sort of spin that question of, you know, it's not his job, it's not his responsibility per se in terms of when we see Anthony Richardson. You heard it there in his voice that it's up to Shane Steichen. I'm just going by the body of work in the short term of last year of quarterback decisions between ownership, management, and coaching staffs. I don't know. You tell me if you if you tell me if I'm supposed to interpret more into the 39 seconds worth of sound we just heard from Jim Irsay. Well, the first part, which is clearly obvious, and you kind of alluded to it there. He wants Anthony Richardson to be the starter week one. There's no doubt about that. If he was going to make the decision and flex like he did at times last year, that's a no doubt call by him. I agree with him on that decision for one reason, one reason only. It's the second half of what he said. Gardner Minshew should not be starting in games for the sole thought of, we might be a little bit better at the start. I don't care. The only reason yeah. Gardner Minshew should be starting is because Anthony Richardson is not ready. It should not be, oh, we might win a couple more games weeks one through three because Minshew's more polished. The reason should be Anthony Richardson is not ready. We want him to get more comfortable with life in the NFL, learn the routines in the quarterback room, sit behind Minshew, and be more stable when it's time to go. If it is, we might win three more games, but Richardson's ready. I don't want to see Gardner Minshew anywhere near any snaps that are not garbage time. If there's a true sycophant out there who's listened to me host this show multiple times over the last six months, I'm sure they could go back and just completely torpedo me with what I've said in the past. Because I honestly, Jimmy, don't remember what I've said in the past about 
what I would like to see and when I would like to see Anthony Richardson. Obviously, if he wows in training camp and looks good in the preseason, you start him. If he's the best quarterback you have, you start your best quarterback. There's no denying that. I think the debate is if it's a 1A, 1B comfort talent situation between him and the backup at the beginning of the year. And then the reason why I probably seesaw on this a lot is that I think the defining factor that then informs the decision of the coaching staff to start or to not start him is it's psychological. It's okay. He's, he's our best option or he's close to our best option. We put him out there in the first few weeks, but then you run the risk of if it gets too overwhelming, then you pull him back. And what does that mean to his long-term growth in between the ears? These are things I'm not equipped to talk about. I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know how they evaluate his ability. It sounds like they say all the right things about his work ethic, his commitment, his willingness to do the next thing, his ability to bounce back, be a goldfish, all of these sort of things that we can sort of say about Anthony Richardson Good seems to be reference. positive. Thank you. Yeah. I, I finished watching it, by the way, so you can spoiler alert anything you want. Oh, no, Nathaniel hasn't, so no, we can't. Did, did, did you like it? I did like it. I did like it. We'll talk off the air. All right, all right. Um, I guess that's the only concern that I would have. And so I probably at one point in time said, yeah, I'd like to see him by like week six, like let him get up to speed. And now I'm kind of in the... No, let's roll him out there week one. Let's just go. Let's go ahead and do it. I think because I'm not as scared about. He's a big boy. Like he is. That's, could he get hurt? Sure, he could get hurt. But I'm not as worried about him getting hurt as I would be a number of other sort of prospects that you might sort of throw out there. And if you're the not first, having the same Bryce Young conversation, no. And if the first thing you teach him is read one, read two, and read three isn't there, throw it away. We don't care. And he can master that. And occasionally tuck it under and go, okay. But the thing we can't answer is where they feel like not starting or starting and then not starting might slow the developmental timeline of how they are viewing his reaction to things. That's the only thing. I don't think we'll ever actually learn that because that's just not something that you can see by reps in practice or even game reps in a preseason game. I'm going to use it because it's one of the things I know best outside of the Colts, and that's Kansas City. Six years ago, Patrick Mahomes is drafted there. There, the, You could have fans that were like, oh, we want to see Patrick Mahomes. We want to see what he's able to do, this new electric draft pick. You had Alex Smith there in a team that in Kansas City they viewed as a, as a contender. They yeah. viewed, it was a perennial playoff team, not quite to the level of uh, Belichick or, Brady, or where they are now, but they were in a far better spot than where the Colts are right now. Look back with Aaron Rodgers. You had a legitimate superstar in Brett Favre right there and a team that was a perennial contender. That's not the Colts. Garner Minshew is neither of those names. Yep. On his best day, could, could he maybe be at an Alex Smith level? Sure, I'm willing to say that. Alex Smith, even though he was a former number one overall pick that didn't work in his first spot, was a solid starter. Minshew is a solid backup to useful starter in spots. This isn't that same conversation. I don't care if Minshew is better than Richardson. As long as you know internally that Richardson is going to have struggles, might be worse than Minshew, but is going to grow and is ready for the NFL, then it's not it's not a debate for me. You put him out there week one. Yeah, I, I think we're getting closer and closer to it not being a debate. And it's interesting because I feel like we were having the debate about him, and I'm saying that as whoever was going to be the draft pick as opposed to Anthony Richardson. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it was, oh, they're going to draft somebody in 
hypothetically, if it's this guy, this guy, or this guy, then it would have changed. But I don't really know if it. I don't know. I, he's the least they say pro ready of the four prospects that we were talking about at the top of it, just in terms of his age and his experience. But then the physical traits in a modern NFL game almost makes him plug and play in some senses, especially for a, Sh- a, a Shane Steichen offense. So, uh, again, this is just a perfect example of a conversation that has gone on for too long because we have nothing else from the Colts to talk about is that we're talking ourselves. And so, again, it's been a month since I've sat in this chair, and I think I've said something a, different. You get closer with an Ursay comment like that. It you do. It ignites the flame, yeah. whether it ha- holds water or not. I ultimately think... Oh, it holds water. Well, no, but I mean, I ultimately think, like you mentioned at the top, that him saying it's Steichen's decision, I believe that he's going to stick to that word until things go south mm-hmm. or until he feels mm-hmm. like he needs to step okay. in. All right. Okay. Okay. Two trophies. I want two trophies. <laughs> two Lombardis. I want two you Lomb- need them. <laughs> I want two Lombardis. I mean, I don't, I don't know how long you're going to wait for the two Lombardis. Hey, w- when do you put the chips all in on the craps table? When do you do that? I okay. don't know. I'm ne- I've never been close enough to the table to know that. <laughs> uh, we'll uh, we'll dive deeper into this with Mike Chappell coming up next. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show inside the DriveHuber.com studios. I'm Jimmy Cook along with Will Haskett, Nathaniel Finch behind the ones and twos. A reminder, we have a second before we get to the Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4. Coming up here in just about a month, August 18th, at the Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center will be the fan on the Back Nine Golf Outing, presented by Franciscan Health Center. That on August 18th, golf, food, tournament-style games, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, JMV will all be out there. Each ticket purchase benefits the American Heart Association. You have a little check-in at 10 a.m., lunch provided as well, get things kicked off at 11, all the way until 4.30, plus a silent auction. You have sports memorabilia and one of kind of experiences up for grabs as well, a live broadcast from JMV. And on top of that, great way and great excuse to play hooky on a Friday in August and enjoy some great food and some great fun at the Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center. For tickets, go to 1075thefan.com. This event will sell out fast. Be a part of the action of Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center. That's on August 18th. For more, 1075thefan.com. Last segment. Will and I discussed comments made by Colts owner Jim Ursay yesterday on the Pat McAfee show. We're joined by the Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 59 and CBS 4. Chappie, thank you as always for making time for us. Hope the summer has been treating you well. And I know that you as much as anybody know that tea leaf reading is a fool's errand. But Let's we, do it. We still have it Read them, Chap. Read them, Chappie. Read them all. Who's starting week one, Chap? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, how, how you guys doing? Yeah, I, I haven't heard you. I, I didn't hear the interview itself i saw some snippets and whenever you're dealing with the owner like you said it's you know it's buyer beware on how you interpret them so it's kind of whatever you want to read into but a few things i saw that to me were a little concerning do you think that he is going to be true to his word at the end of that big clip that's been making the rounds on social media of him saying Richardson needs to play to get more reps and more experience, but ultimately it's going to be Shane's decision. Do you expect that to be true to his word, that he's going to let Shane drive this boat? Yeah, I think he really has to. The, the, the last thing you can do that you should do is to bring in a new coach who is a quarterback guy with a young quarterback, and I'm sure Steichen had had maybe the final say on which quarterback to go in the draft and then to under, undercut him when it comes to practice time and playing. So I, I, I'm i sure that the owner will, as he always does, 
you know, state his suggestions, this has got to be, even beyond Chris Barrett, this has got to be a Shane Steichen decision on whether the rookie's ready or not. And, Chapel, we're going to learn a lot about if that rookie is ready or not in 15 days when training camp opens. Richardson is in town. He's he's doing everything that you would expect a rookie quarterback to do in this first off season with the program. What are you've been around, you've been doing this for so long? You've seen so many new quarterbacks come in, and, and everyone is wired differently. But when you show up to Grand Park and you're there for training camp those first few days, what are you looking for from Anthony Richardson? What is your eye going to be attracted to as you start to try and figure out how this piece fits into the puzzle and how quickly it fits into the puzzle? Probably real simple. It probably oversimplified is who's taking the number one reps? Yeah. How do they how have they broken it down? And I, yes, we want to see, and, and we're all going to chart. KB's as good as anybody in charting you know, 11 on 11, 7 on 7 and all that. We all do that. And he's going to be up and down. During OTAs and when we saw minicamp, Richardson almost always had the best throw and the worst throw. Just because that, that's kind of who he was at the time. I think he'll still be up and down. He'd like to see progress. But it, but it, to me, it's going to be how are they approaching it. If they have a realistic view of him being ready for September, he needs to take most of the reps and it, it, as long as he's showing whatever progress you need to see then you do that now if he's out there for a couple of weeks and he's just littering the field with bad play you say okay he's not going to be ready and then you go more towards Minshew but as long as this kid is, is progressing I just think you go you, you, you give him most of the reps and let him grow I've taken the approach, two things, that Richardson has to prove, will have to prove that he's not ready. He'll have to prove by his performance in practice and in the joint works and in the preseason games. And that that's something that the coaching staff's going to see. And I think, again, we'll see it more by the reps in practice. But if he's not ready and they don't start him, to me it is so hard, barring injury, it's so hard to get that rookie ready once the season gets going because you're, you're in, now you're in that seven-day cycle of like three practices of getting ready for the next game. And the worst thing to do, and we've seen it done with one week with Jacoby Brissett against Miami, where you cannot – have the rookie who's not starting take a lot of the reps and say, well, Minshew will get by. That, that, you can't do that. So it's so hard once the season gets going to, to, to get the rookie enough reps, meaningful reps. So I, I think we're going to know. I, I, and they're not going to give us any. They're not going to say, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's Richardson's job like Frank did with uh, in Carolina. That's not going to happen. But I think it's gonna. We're gonna see by how they treat him, how they handle him, and who's getting the bulk of the reps. The deeper we go into camp, chap to that same end. The only other thing where I nodded in agreement from Jim Mercer's interview with the Pat McAfee show yesterday was he mentioned that 
Minshew might be better out of the gate or might give us a better chance to win. And he kind of ended it there and continued talking about Anthony Richardson. But to me, Chap, even if it's maybe Minshew's a couple steps ahead or gives you a chance to maybe grab a couple wins weeks one through three, if it's not Richardson is clearly not ready. It can't be, uh, oh, we're going to start Minshew because we might win three more games, right? Like for me, if it's close, you need to go with the rookie and and see what he has. Well, yeah, I agree because I think there's no question that Minshew will be more clearly, ready. Clearly, yes, start. right. I yep. mean, that's just he's a what four year veteran. He's been in the system, and that's why I say if Richardson shows you that he's, I don't know what, close or ready or whatever. Yeah, you go with him. And now, but again, but if he's not, you don't. Right. You don't sacrifice the team to give the guy reps when he's not ready because those are – I think we, we kind of saw – go back to two years ago with Trevor Lawrence. He took all those reps in Jacksonville. and what? Yeah, they were experienced, but it was in such a bad environment with the Urban Meyer and all that. Yeah. If it's going to make him get better, quicker and all that, okay – but, no, I think that the balance they're going to have is, and I think it's realistic, is if you start Minshew, look at that schedule. It's not, you know, over-the-top bad, hard. So I think starting Minshew, maybe you do win a couple of games more. Maybe you got a chance for, I don't know, 7-10. and 10. And if you go with Richardson, it's, it's not that. It's important to win games. It's important to DeForest Buckner and Jonathan Taylor and, Quentin Nelson, they're not looking to 2024. They're just not. So, but but if, if the kid is is close and he's not going to hurt himself, hurt the team with dumb sacks and turnovers, you can't do that because the locker room knows who needs to be playing. They do. But that's why I say I think Richardson has to prove he's not ready because I do think there's no doubt in my mind Minshew will be more ready, and Minshew will give them a better chance to win early. I really believe that. The best to do it. Fox 59 CBS 4's Mike Chappell joining us, talking all things Colts. All right, I'll shift to broader sort of subjects. The last few weeks for the Colts, and, and obviously you don't really expect a whole lot of great things to come out of the summer. You're just trying to avoid the negative things, and obviously there's been the Isaiah Rogers situation. You've lost a corner for the year. There's been you know sort of I guess lingering conversations about Jonathan Taylor's contract, all the little sort of nagging things that seem to come up when you have nothing positive on the field, I guess, chat to talk about. So I want you to give me hypothetically, give me like a positive storyline you're hoping develops out of training camp. Well, let's say non-quarterback division. Yeah, please. Everything, everything's around the quarterback. The, the biggest positive, two things. One, Shaq Leonard practices on opening day, mm. and he's practicing, and he's okay. And we didn't get that impression from her today. But the, the overriding thing to me is the offensive line looks like it's got its act together and it's back on track to be viable. If the offensive line works, I'm not saying top ten. I'm just saying good. It, it, then, then Jonathan Taylor is going to be effective. Then whichever whichever quarterback you've got in there is going to have a chance to do it. it, it it's the, the the one area that doomed this team last year was offensive line, and I think offensive line will dictate how well this team does 
because if it can't run block and Jonathan Taylor can't be a factor, what do you got? That, that's why it's, again, it's to me it's offensive line driven. And I don't know that we're going to see that during training camp because you just can't. We'll see it during the joint practices and the preseason games. But as long as the offensive line is viable, that's what I, that's what will give me encouragement for the season, not quarterback. Chap, have the joint practices overtaken preseason games as to which is more valuable for teams during this stretch of counting down to week one? No question about it. Uh, again, go back and look the way these guys have handled that preseason game after joint workouts, and the veterans seldom play much. Uh, Richardson makes it a little bit more of a wild card this year. But when you practice two days against the Bears, you're not going to play your frontline people very long in the game. Philly, probably Philly too because it's a short week. So, yeah, I think coaches would much rather have two joint days. And then that preseason game, and boy, it's, it's to sort of settle the bottom – I don't know, 20% of your roster, which might be a high thing. But, yeah, I think that much rather have scrimmages. Uh, I don't think they'll ever get rid of preseason games because it's a moneymaker. Right. It's a cash cow. But I think from a, from a football standpoint, they much rather have the, these joint practices than, than preseason games. In that same vein, and I, I know media availability is variable, but as we're trying to map this out, over the next couple of weeks of who holds the edge, not just at quarterback, but any of these starting spots, is the repetition or the rep count more important in those joint practices then than preseason? Sure. Now, again, preseason games, that might be for the third and fourth corner sure. or backup line and all that. But, yeah, cor- cornerback, holy smokes, those guys need to play. Uh, starting with, with reps in practice and the joint, pra- and the joint workouts, you know, Dallas Flowers, you know, they keep mentioning, well, you know, we got Dallas Flowers at corner. Yeah, he played four. He played, he started three games last year when everybody was hurt. So he, he played okay, but I just don't want to go into the season thinking, well, we're okay because they've got Dallas Flowers. And that's not, I, I don't mean to besmirch him. I'm just saying that he was a kid returner with, with cornerback tendency or, or, or background sort of. But Juju Brands and all these young corners, they need to play. Josh Downs needs to play. Uh, Will Mallory, all the rookies that miss so much off-season work because of injuries need to play. Uh, and I think they'll get more done in, in what's a more of a controlled setting in a scrimmage than it will a preseason game. Chappie, they all play. Let's say they all stay healthy how many additional bodies that don't enter camp with the Colts could potentially be added to the 53 by the end of training camp? So again, do you think, I guess it's a it's a open-ended way yeah. of me asking, do you think the 53-man roster all shows up to camp together? No, no, uh, because other teams are going to get better players than the Colts have got a position. Corner just jumps yeah, out at you. Absolutely. Just jumps out. Offensive line jumps out at me. Maybe a safety. So no, I uh, three. I, yeah, I, would, I was going to ask how many bodies you think they're probably looking yeah. at trying to to still acquire externally. I wouldn't be shocked uh, if if there's three guys not here yet, and and 
and, and maybe not even here yet, all of them when training camp starts because you get that, that cut at the end of camp. And that you're, that people are going to cut players that are better than what you've got at your position. And so, yeah, again, maybe that's why they've not signed a corner yet. I, I know they're going to, they've, they've always intended to go young there, but man, boy, this is really young. Yeah. You know, the only, the only guy with any real experience is Kenny Moore. Everybody else is sort of hit and miss. So, yeah, I, I think three is a good number. And a couple of those might be once rosters are cut and you pick up guys you know, on that last cut, so after camp, which is not ideal because they've not been with you. They don't know your system, and it's, it, can be a, it can be something of a process to get them plugged in, but you always take talent. You don't, you don't pass up on talent because he doesn't, they don't know your system. Kenny Moore came in late, was it September, I thought it was, and developed pretty quickly and, and played well. So I think there's – and three might be a low number. It might be a low number as far as people they add, but I, I kind of like three. Chap, this might be a question that I asked you from now until week one arrives and, and maybe beyond that, but b- because of you know how long you've been on the beat and how knowledgeable you are on contract negotiations, uh, where do things stand at this point three weeks or inside of three weeks from training camp on the Jonathan Taylor front and the likelihood that something gets done before everybody's under center week one against the Jags? Well, I'm sure they're talking. I mean, he's that important to him, and I think his to resolve that is really important to him. You know, and obviously his money. We're talking. He probably wants a long, you know, a four or five year deal, which I don't think he's going to get. He would get. And I, I, I kind of thought maybe what Nick Chubb get three years and thirty six six. I think it was. Yep. And I would have. I would have. If I'm the team, I would have given him that in a heartbeat. And I'm. I'm guessing he wants fourteen, fifteen million a year. I, I just, I think it gets done because it makes sense to get done. He's, he's to me, he's your best player. He's this, regardless of position, he's your best player. You're going to be leaning on him big time with this young offense and the quarterback. And you know, I, I think an extension to me, what sounds right, what feels right, make it as long as you want, three years, four years. But it's really a two-year deal where the really good money, guaranteed money's in two years. So I don't know what that is. If they wanted to play really nasty hardball, you make him play out his contract, which is, I think it's a four-year or four million this year, I think. And then you, and then you franchise him yeah. for a year, year or two, which is totally against what they've ever done. They've never treated a player like that, one of their own. I don't think they would do that. They will do that. I think it gets done just because it makes sense. They, they've always rewarded, always rewarded their own. He's their own. He's he had the best season ever by a Colt running back two years ago. So I and he he was pretty good last year on a bum ankle and a bad line behind a bad line. I think it gets done because it needs to get done. Uh, nerdy inside journalism question here from me, Chappie, but with a new coaching staff, I know it's not fully new. Um, how's your job going to be this year compared to others? Do you feel like this is a staff that's going to be willing to, to share and talk a little bit more, or do you feel like you got to go in with a little bit uh, stronger fishing pole? No, that, that, for the, the times we've had with these guys, they're very accessible. Uh, we get we get the coordinators every week. We get assistants once a month, I think. And by and large, they, they've been very, very good to talk with. Sometimes, 
you know, Jim Bob Cougar is not going to give us any detailed stuff. Shane Steichen has been tough to get really good information on, you know, details and schemes and all that. But, no, they, they've been fine. I think we've got a good group. We always look forward to the assistant coaches because we get Reggie, and he's great to talk with. So I don't have any complaints. And, you know, Gus Bradley's good to talk with. And, and it's a good group. You just got to get to know them better because the more you know them and the more they know you, there's a comfort level you sure. get. And they open up a little bit, but I have no complaints with these guys at all. Yeah. Chappie, enjoy the rest of your summer vacation, 15 days until uh, you'll be churning out content left and right and on the hour. So we appreciate your time and enjoy the rest of your uh, quiet July. Thanks, guys. Stay in touch. That's Mike Chappell. You know where to find him, Fox 59 and CBS 4. Jimmy, the Colts announced their 2023 game day themes today. Yes. And you are, you know, you're big on the schedule release, so I'm assuming you were front and center today (laughs) all over the game day themes. We've got preseason party for the preseason game week two, uh, celebrating 40 years of the Colts in Indy uh, for the home opener on September the 10th. Family day against the Rams on October 1st. Crucial catch, which is obviously all the work done across the league and especially by the Colts, October 8th, dealing with intercepting cancer on October 8th. I'm going to skip over one. Don't skip Uh, over that one. For the boo on October 29th, Halloween (laughs) themed against the Saints. Salute to service, military uh, tribute on November 26th against the Bucks. Uh, Throwback jerseys against the Steelers week 15, or is that week 16? Week 15 16 16 16 sorry the graphic i can't tell if it's a five or a six um new year's eve kicking the stigma against the raiders so that's all mental health related and then fan appreciation week 18 against the texans um there is one day they say will be released in six days on july the 17th it was 15 by the way uh, it is 15 the tb in this graphic i come on colts like can we pick a better font i can't tell if that's a five or a six i'm old uh, one still to be determined. I think this is so appropriate. The one team coming to Indy that doesn't have a theme yet is the Cleveland Browns on October 22nd. It's like, what are we going to do with the Browns? What are we going to do that day? I mean, do you have any ideas? Like, they're still thinking about them. They're going to reveal it on July 17th. So it's either going to be epic. It's either going to be awesome, or there's still a whole bunch of guys in a room, gals in a room, marketing firms have been engaged, and they're like, hey, what are we going to do on October 22nd? The Browns are coming to town. Um that's my pitch, or my pitch angle for it is not just that it's the Browns, which is funny, but they're trying to rope you back in because they know you weren't a fan of the schedule. Oh, yeah. They just want one more <laughs> anticipation come back. day. Come you back on July days. 17th. Six days, Will. Then you, you know, can find out. There's a fireable joke in there about Deshaun Watson and some sort there of is, charitable yep. organization yep. that you could probably yep. do there. I doubt they'll step into that nope. water, but that'd be, you know, I'd give them credit if they did. Um, yeah, so I just found that hilarious that the one game that we don't have anything for is for the Cleveland Browns. Six days, count it down. Brum, brum. Big reveal. Brum, 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 the Browns. <laughs> what are we going to do with the Browns? Everybody, get, where's Don Draper? Let's get Don Draper in a room and figure out something to do the day the Browns come to town. He drank a lot of brown liquor on that show. Maybe sure. we could do a bourbon tasting fans are, hey lucas baseball oil promotions have that all the time over 21 yeah. fans first ten thousand. i'm thinking about going to the louisville's got like a bourbon and music festival okay like middle of september i think about going I was talking to the wife about this last night i think we're gonna go down there i was like a great lineup it's like a four-day lineup of bands and everything and i'm probably only gonna go to one day and then i'll hit a distillery the next day and a distillery the day after that but 
I was like, wow, and it happens every year. Now, it's at the Kentucky Exposition Center, which you can see. If you're going down 65, you know, it's right there next to the Six Flags north of the airport, that kind of armpit of 65 that's right there. It's not the most glamorous area to go, like, kind of hang out at a music festival, but you know what? Make it a double. I'll get through it by the end of the day. Uh, it's not the only announcement that's come out of Central Indiana today with some investment in some things. Uh, I'm going to get into this, throw out a hypothetical to Jimmy, uh, and we're going to talk. Um, no, if I say what we're going to talk about, then no one's going to come back to the next segment. So <laughs> that's the tease. That's as good as we got here on July the 11th as we are in the doldrums of summer in the sports community. More on the fan next. Fan Midday Show, counting down until we're out of here. <laughs> and then it's the ride after that. No, I mean, that's, hey, do you know? You'd be my watching. favorite substitute teacher ever, by oh, the way. Just to uh, clarify that. Why? Because it's just kind of off the Because we've right? reached eighth period. And you're like, hey, uh, hey we're yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is just, I opened the show with this. Like, I am in this studio more often on like July 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th every year than anybody. I don't think even the full time hosts spend as much time in this building as I do on the most boring days in sports every year. So I guess it's a gift that I can be here and we can help fill three hours of your day talking about no real game-related stuff, although we did squeeze 90 minutes out of the Pacers being 2-0 and in the summer leagues. Um, they're doing all the pre-festivity stuff with the All-Star game tonight. Man, Shohei Otani is an attractive-looking guy, man. Holy cow, does he dress up nicely. He's not on there anymore, Jimmy. You can turn around. He was, he was there. Oh, just admiring Garrett Cole? Yeah, Garrett Cole, like, he's like... He's gotten like more slender in his old age. Like the jaw is a little bit more chiseled. He was like a little pudgier when he was mm-hmm. with Pittsburgh, wasn't he? Yep. I watched him. Clean shaven look. He looked good too. on Saturday. He pitched well against my Cubs. Sorry about those other two games there, Jimmy. But, yeah, you know, we do right. what we got to do. It's all right. We're Thank just... you to all of my Cubs friends that were in my mentions throughout that entire series. Thank you, Glaber Torres. You know what? The Cubs are another error. Just as good as. Just as good as bad can be best I mean, thing just... from that series was the battle we talked about yesterday of david ross and aaron boone for who's going to end up with the most ejections this season man they they both like getting tossed mm-hmm. don't they big fans I, like, what time's the tea time boys because it, sometimes it's <laughs> exactly <laughs> hot date like what's happening over there but yeah it's looking at otani he had a suit on and man they're it's gonna be made the guy's gonna make a lot of money it's gonna make a whole heck of a lot of money he is in the plays the day is he? Uh, little, little little tease there oh, for you coming up next segment. Oh, how about that? How about that? Uh, this news announced earlier today, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum announced an $89 million capital campaign to transform its exhibits and experiences. Like any campaign, that was the public phase that was announced. They've already raised about half of that $89 million. $46 million has been committed, so now it goes public. So they'll be soliciting funds from people like you and me to try and improve the museum, make it uh, not just more modern, more attractive, bring in more people to want to view it. The idea, some of the new immersive dynamic experiences expected over there, seven permanent exhibits, three different rotating exhibits. They're going to do a lot more in terms of STEM stuff with local K-12 through school organizations, so the opportunity to provide a better place to bring in groups and do curriculum and things like that. I guess it's called STEAM now, right? It's not STEM anymore. It's STEAM. We've added an A, and I should know what the A is. Gosh darn it. That'll be on the pop quiz later. Uh, the sensation of being in an IndyCar Series car will be part of the new museum, which is awesome, and learning to use the tools and equipment of the racing trade competing in a pit stop. 
So it looks like you get to change a mm. tire maybe coming up at the museum, all part of the $89 million renovation. It will shut down the museum for about a year and a half uh, once it is all completed. The funds have been raised as they expected to, and then they will open back up. Uh, so there were a couple of things that were in there. Obviously, they already know what they want to do with the money in order to renovate the museum. Is there anything you would want to see in that museum? That- so I'll be honest. I, I love museums. The you know highlight of my museum baseball card is everything out there in D.C., all the Smithsonian's. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I just love being a part of history and seeing it up close and personal. I'll be honest, I've never been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway what? Museum before. I, I got to confess, I've not. I've not made that journey. Uh, I now realize that I have to wait till April of 2025 to do that, but... Not a thing that you listed on there in terms of what's a part of these renovations doesn't excite me enough sure. that I want to go out there when it reopens. So uh, A is for arts, by the way. So that was going to be my a guess. Arts. It was going to be my guess. Science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics have been added because that's part of a balanced education. There you go. Uh, full brain. Have um, you been? I, ha- I haven't been in a while, so this would be a really good reason. I think for a lot of people, those of us who've all grown up here, you know, you did it. You, you did the elementary school field trip. You maybe went back there once for something else. You've been to an event there. You know, they rent the space out a lot, so I've been to events that have been hosted at the museum. But I think for anybody, I mean, again, we talked about this a lot during race month, is that those of us born and raised or who have migrated to Indianapolis and have made this your home for a considerable period of time, like is obviously near and dear. It's a part of our, the fabric of our community and our Mm -hmm. culture. And so to have a reason to go back there again, I think would be great because there are so many different places competing for your attention. And so, yes, I'm sure when it's done, we'll take the kids out there and do things. Um, And yeah, I mean, you can do a pit stop. You can sort of experience it. One of the coolest things I ever experienced in a museum is I've been to the, I went to the Muhammad Ali museum in louisville really good you know it's a it's a really quick sort of path they start you in a theater you see the the spiel they kind of run through like why it was important and then you can kind of self-guide your way through the years like any museum spend as much time as you want don't spend as much time as you want and then at the end when you left you kind of walk down to this final area and there's this just sort of dark wide open spot and they have these little cushioned chairs in them and each of the chairs has its own little like tablet screen attached to the chair and you hit it and you can pull up any Ali fight you want to see on wow. demand. So if you just wanted to watch the Thriller in Manila and looking back on it, I don't actually know if you get every round of every fight. They may have condensed it to where you see like rounds one, five and the knockout round or whatever it might be. But I remember sitting in that chair and I, I was with buddies on a guy's trip and they were ready to go drink some bourbon somewhere and i was like man i could have sat here for three hours because sure. you you know some of the fights but how often have you ever gone to youtube and sort of watched them and i understand in this day and age like if i want to see an ali fight i can find it you know on streaming but while you're in that moment you just sort of learned about some things and so wouldn't it be cool if there was as you're exiting if you have all the time in the world yes at the be. ims museum and yep. it's like man i want to see as a diehard andretti fan i want to see the lone race that an Andretti one at this place. I want to see the 1969 Indy 500. It, they're not going to have the three and a half hour race, but maybe you can, you see the start, you see the, the big laps, you see the, maybe the final 10 laps of every race are on there sort of uninterrupted. Sure. So you could watch it, whatever it might be. Again, so everybody's listening over on the West side, just something to steal from what I thought was one of the cooler experiences I've had at a sports museum at the uh, Muhammad Ali exhibit experience down there in louisville but yeah that's gonna be cool so 89 million dollars they've already raised close to 50 of that um 
coming up for what's going to be a complete redo of that museum. So that's obviously part of, I think, the continued sort of facelift of the property. And uh, really cool. I think it's really cool for IMS as they continue to sort of grow the brand of what it is. And you can go to IndianapolisMotorSpeedway.com to learn more about that and read all the quotes and pomp and circumstance that they have about it. Yeah, I mean, you need a pathway still to be able to help not just racing interest, but people learn more about the sport and something that, as you mentioned, is so ingrained into the culture and society of Indianapolis. You, You need an avenue where everybody from all ages, kids, young adults, to people that have been around the racing community for years and years and years that can go back and not only learn about it, but yeah, that interactive experience at the end to go along with the, you know, potential pit stop challenge or, or a simulator, wherever that's going to be for the racing perspective. And there's a smart way to do it from a, a rewind standpoint. Like you mentioned, it could be, you know, final 10 laps of a race. It could be like, here were the marquee moments from this particular driver in that race. Yeah. There's, there's ways to put the markers around there where you're not having to watch three and a half yeah, four hours I mean, of race coverage. I don't know how many terabytes worth of data it would take to mine 100 plus years worth of stuff, but I was just thinking out loud when I was reading the release to about it. So sure. really cool about what's going on with that one. So that's uh, that's coming soon to the west side with the new Imagine. There's, they got the you know they got the fancy new pictures. You know, like the I love how they like now he's. Like that's not CGI. You like Photoshop in actual human beings, full scale renderings into yeah. the renderings and yeah. stuff. It's like so creepy. It's like where do we find this guy in clip art? <laughs> just a guy with like a black satchel and just wearing like an all gray outfit and just kind of hanging out in the background. It's like where do we get this guy from? Like where what he posed for at one point in time, and now he's part of like a clip art sort of download. So you, yeah, you can look at that random guy too if you want to over there on IndianapolisMotorSpeedway.com. Uh, you and I were texting the other night. Do we want to give the people what they need to hear about our U.S. men's national team in soccer? Got the, the women have arrived in New Zealand for the World Cup. I mean, it's it's soccer fever season, baby. I, I will give before we get to that. I will give you the the controls of the ship here. We do have a caller that is excited about the museum. If you want to roll the dice, and, roll it, baby. All Who right, we got. Let's go to Josh on line one. Josh excited about the museum. Josh, welcome to the Fan Midday Show. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Saw the uh, press release. I assume. Oh, yeah. yeah. First, I want to start by saying you guys are doing a great job. Love the show today. Um, I always get excited when I hear you guys talk about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and racing in general, just because it seems like football and basketball naturally, you know, dominate the airwaves when it comes to uh, sports radio. But I do want to talk about what I think they should incorporate at the museum. A race that happened last weekend uh, was the Battle at the Brickyard Quarter Midget Race, which I believe some of the news stations did cover it. Um, And it has gotten some attention over the years. Uh, You know, quarter midget racing is a strong base to a lot of careers that are not only in NASCAR, but in IndyCar as well. Um, We brought out 500 cars last weekend. My son does race them. And so something that I would love to see the museum do is incorporate some of the history of quarter midget racing, the history of that race in general, as well as, you know, some of the modern cars to show the advancements in technology, stuff like that. It's just been a, um, a big part of the Motor Speedway, and it's been a, the Motor Speedway has been a huge part of the quarter midget racing uh, family now for, uh, I think, the first race at the Motor Speedway was in 2001, so, you know, over 20 years curators are listening there you go 
You've got it. You've got it. You've got an exhibit. Now, they've got three rotating exhibits coming in, too. So even if it doesn't become a permanent part of the museum, you could end up with one of those rotating exhibits at some point in time being history of or things of that nature. And then that would be a great way to attract fans of that sport. Thanks for the call. Um, Thank you, Josh. I've taken in a couple of midget races through the years. And there's, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's the backbone of IndyCar and where people come up through. I mean, obviously, karting's a big part of it, too. So you'll see a lot of kids that come out of the, the karting scene. But then when you get into some of the, I mean, some of the legendary ones at some of the tracks around Indiana, I mean, I've got friends that would spin. There's like a couple of weeks where it's like every day for like a week. This is where I start to sound really stupid, but, um, like every single dirt track in Indiana has got a race and people are literally just going from one spot to the other. I knew guys that would travel with it and just had an absolute blast. And man, I wish I had the time to be able to, I should just take a summer off and try and go do that. That'd be super fun. I sure. mean, it'd be great. I mean, there's some really cool races and you can, every now and then you'll see them on social media, people that are posting the, just to backtrack, stuff. why I chuckled. You take the summer off to go compete or to go watch? No, no, go because watch. my chuckle was you getting no, behind the like, wheel and like, to be a part of it. I'd go I was rent like, an oh, RV. Yes, do it. I'd rent an RV for sure. two weeks that and makes just go sense. from track to track. And My laugh was great. Will Haskett suiting up to be a part of the circuit and get behind the wheel. I'm sure a lot of this stuff also will be talked about tomorrow night, I would hope, on Trackside, which you can hear 7 o'clock tomorrow. Kurt Cavan, Kevin Lee. Yeah. There you go. They should be in. So I would, I'm, I'm not going to tell them what they should cover on their show, but I'm hoping that at least a little part of it is – this i understand that we've got a big race week coming up with the honda indy toronto coming up you can hear that uh coming up uh, 1 30 p.m on sunday here on the fan as well with uh, alex polo 110 points up in the standing this is the hard thing right now if you're a big racing fan or at least an open wheel racing fan you've got some dominance going on i mm-hmm. mean polo is just is just kicking butt and taking names and many wonder if he's going to be running an F1 next year where Max Verstappen can't get beat either. It's just kind of like, oh, man, every week, rinse and repeat. We need a, we need something funny to happen this week. Not crazy, just funny. Let's just – something silly. Like uh, like, uh, like Polo blows a tire on, like, lap one and gives everybody else a chance. Like, I don't know. Like, we just need something – we need something – We need drama. Silly. We need, we need a little drama. Yeah. We especially need an F1. I mean, not even so much an IndyCar. We need – Good God, Verstappen needs to not win a race and have just anything. Uh, speaking of sports that many consider to be boring, we want to circle back here to our four, uh, four minutes of soccer. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. We're going to touch all the bases. Look, we just had a call that said, thank you for talking racing, and which we did for 10 minutes. Like We're trying to sit, give every sport an opportunity today. And if I was hosting here tomorrow, you know what the show would be? Who is hosting? MLB All-Star Game. No, who, who's Greg Ray Charles hosting tomorrow? Oh, perfect. I'm sure Rake is listening right now. Rake, cancel all the guests, just open phone lines, and everybody can call in and just say like their one little tiny esoteric like sports thing they want to talk about. I think that would be a fun show. Like just react to everybody and just like what they think is like the most Im- important thing. Or like not the most important thing, but it's the most important to them. Because tomorrow is the it is the black hole of sports days. Tomorrow is the day to get your your sport Whoa. of reference. If you've got a ping pong club on the east side and you want to talk about who won your league last week for 30 <laughs> seconds, you should be able to call in and talk about the that. Second half of the MLB regular season. Are the Reds for real? Who's going to be buyers and sellers at the deadline? Are the Yankees no, dead? I mean, I mean, we got time for that. That's much what you could roll with tomorrow. We got post All-Star game. No, Rake, if you're listening, open phone lines, everybody can talk. Like, who's winning? I'm, I got men's league tonight up at Old Oakland. Like, maybe I'll call in tomorrow. Give a point standings update. Let's go. Let's see what we got. Who went any hole in ones tonight? We might have one. What's the bar tab looking How'd you like? Do a top golf last night. That's exactly right. 
everything going on. Actually, scratch that, rewind the tape. How did you be at Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center, which is where on August 18th? Weren't we 18th? supposed to be there today? We were supposed to be there today. August 18th. It's August 18th. I'll be in <laughs> Chicago covering the PGA Tour. I wanted to be there. I'm salty about it. Now we're running out of soccer time. Look at that. Look at that. We're almost out of soccer time. Uh, did you talk about it at all yesterday? No. You didn't? I, no. The game on Sunday was awesome. I would have I would have liked to have dabbled in it a little bit, but I also understand that nobody cares that Matt Turner is a god at TQL The stadium. U.S. men's national team rolled its B team out against Canada and is trying to win a tournament with its B team. And it was a highly entertaining. It was just highly entertaining sports on a night where you didn't have really anything else to watch. It doesn't matter where you are as a sports fan. If you know or you follow a specific team and you know that their best players are not out there and there's an opposition side that has high-level players out there that really want to beat you, nothing is sweeter than them coming out and winning. That was fantastic. It was Maple fun. syrup tears all around. I was totally. for, there for it. But I texted you about it, and I think he ended up tweeting this too. It was like watching the Summer League. It's like watching the Summer League of your national yeah. soccer team only in a tournament that actually mattered. Although, as I discovered and learned today, the Summer League does have rings. There are. So I guess there are some consequences. It's not Cup, necessarily the rings. same as the Gold Cup. Yep. But yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. So, okay, um, that's all I got. We still have 17 minutes. I, wanna, I, I, wanna, I almost covered three hours. <laughs> I almost made it. I do want to finish up in all seriousness though, because I, I didn't land the plane there. Back nine golf outing presented by Franciscan Health. It's going to be on August 18th, 10 a.m. to 4:30 p.m. at Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center. Golf, food, tournament style games. Kevin Bowen's going to be out there. Jay Queer is going to be out there. JMV is going to be out there. In fact, he's going to have the ride with JMV live from three to six out there as well. There'll be some lunch. You'll have action kicking off at 11. A silent auction, and it's a great way to play a little bit of hooky on a Friday and get out of work early and spend some time at Back Nine Golf Outing Entertainment Center with. Tickets purchased going to the American Heart Association. If you want to get in on those tickets, 1075thefan.com is the place to go. Uh, tomorrow, 10 a.m., West Indies, India, in a cricket test match. That is available for wagering. How deep will we go in Jay Cook's picks of the day? That is the only drama we have left on a Tuesday. You find out next. Final time on the Fan Midday Show. Just a few minutes left until the ride with JMV comes your way. Thanks for sticking with us. Will Haskett and Jimmy Cook. Uh, PSA, I do this, say this every year. I know I've been joking about how I'm in here during this void of sports. Listen, tomorrow, watch the All-Star game tonight. Tomorrow, man, just knock out the honey-do list. Like, if you're a diehard sports fan and you you put off a lot of stuff, like, tomorrow's your day, man. Be the Be the partner. Be the spouse that just just gets it done tomorrow because you have nothing to do tomorrow sports-wise. Just wash yourself away of that. Get everything done. Check off a couple of things because then, you know, baseball kicks back in this weekend. I guess there's some summer league games that could distract from you. And then uh, once you've done all that, do it all in one day. Maybe spread it out a little bit more so you're not having to cram it all into one no, day. No, no, do it in one day. Come on. 364 days out of the year, we're degenerates. One day out of the year, we're decent people. Roll it! <laughs> He was not ready. He's not ready. He was not ready for your fastball down the middle. Thank you. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Speaking of fastballs, do I have a prop bet for you here in just a second? Give it but to me. first, before we get to that, American vs. National League tonight, it has been nine consecutive victories by the American League over the National League, dating back to 2013. I need a 10 spot. 
It's a 10 spot tonight. I'm taking the American League on the money line over the National League. In this same game, I'm going to take Shohei Otani. By the way, American League is minus 106. It's basically a pick on the juice. I'm taking Shohei Otani plus 520 to hit a home run in this ball game. And then my favorite prop bet, I don't know if I'll say of all time, but non-Super Bowl division. You can't really find pitcher props because you never know with how many players are on the roster when the hook is going to be put on one of these guys. For Garrett Cole, though, you can bet the velocity of the first pitch. Is it going to be over or under 96.95 miles per hour? That first pitch by Yankees ace Garrett Cole is under. It's going to be under 96.95 miles an hour. Just kind of takes a couple off because the flashbulbs are too too bright. I went... I went full-scale metrics in this. He's averaging credit to Vegas. My goodness. Let's say it's a four-seam fastball out of the gate. 96.9 miles per hour is his average on the season. 96.95 is where that number's at. I'm going to go under 5-1 and one yesterday. Rolling on the week. Wow. Thank you, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Wow. Okay. Look at um, this. Look, look at all the advanced data we got going got on here for this so first for this first pitch. You talk about tennis with data. My goodness. Thank you, baseball savant. No Eddie here, so I gotta I gotta chip in some I'm not touching an all star game, just not I mean even You're though not even gonna be a contrarian and go NL. I'm going WNBA tonight. How about nice. this one? The worst team in the WNBA this year is the Phoenix Mercury, even with Brittany Griner back, even with Diana Taurasi chasing how many thousands of points she's on pace to do. The best team in the WNBA this year is the Las Vegas Aces. They're playing tonight. The Mercury are getting 17 and a half. They have not lost by that many in their last six. The first time these two teams met, it was a 20-point Aces win. I think there's more pride in the line. That's a lot of points. So give me the lowly Mercury and their two superstars plus 17 and a half tonight in the WNBA. Um, and then we do have golf, double golf this week on the PGA Tour, joint partnership with the DP World Tour, the Scottish Open. They're also playing Kentucky at the Barbasol Championship. I'll just focus on the Scottish Open only. I'll be part of post-game coverage coming up over on Sirius XM this week. I think Patrick Cantlay wins. Not enough to bet him at 14-1, to 1, but a plus 150 top 10 just from a simple betting standpoint. I know you like those manageable lines. You know, let me come in here with the big ones. Uh, right. Plus 150 top 10 on Patrick Cantlay if you want to sprinkle a little bit on the golf action. Speaking of golf action, Indiana Open's going on right now up in South Bend. Nick Bands leading by two, six under in the second round. My boy, Fisher's own, Hamilton Southeastern's own, Graham Mackery, back-to-back days of 200 par, 400. He's part of a group tied for second. So they wrap up the whatever playing, the 100th playing. It's been had an Indian Open for a long time. I'm Indiana a little disappointed. I'm a little disappointed we don't have any bets from Gwen today. I'm, she's been on. Hard. She's been watching Jesse for the last hour and a half. Yeah, There's no right. way we're getting her out of this. <laughs> she's locked in. Yeah, she is <laughs> locked into Jesse. She just discovered Jesse, which... I don't know how old that show is. Ten years old? Probably, yeah. Right around there. She's all in on the Jesse. Uh, so you are, are you watching first pitch to last out tonight? It'll be on a screen in the house. We'll have my undivided attention for the entirety. We'll see. Definitely for that first pitch, though, or Garrett Cole's first pitch anyway. Gonna get under ninety six point nine five miles Are you just are you just done at that point in time? I mean, you put like, the feet up and you enjoy. I feel like. Because if that hits, that's that's about that's like a minus one thirty five. So that's not high juice. But then if you get an Otani homer out of it, and if you're gonna pick the American League like me, you might as well bet Otani to win the MVP as well. If you're riding the home run train there, so could be a great night. We're trying to build off of the home run derby. Moment. What was the score of last year's All Star game? The score of last year's All Star game was three to two. Giancarlo oh, Stanton had a nice. Jeez, 
I was looking at these over-unders at seven and a half, and I was like, oh, it should be a slugfest, right? I guess maybe not. That's a that's a pitcher-friendly ballpark, isn't it? Seattle's a pretty pitcher-friendly place. Yeah, I mean, from a metric standpoint, it was it was better from the home run derby esque numbers in terms of like ignoring pitchers, but just what yeah. batters were able to do. It was a little better than where it was at Dodger Stadium last year from just the betting lines. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot of space. So. Yeah, cooler air. You know, the ball flies farther in warmer air. That's not a surprise. But you know the, that a ball flies farther in more humid air than it does dry air. Aerodynamically, moist air is easier from an aerodynamic standpoint of flying through than dry air is. That the molecules in dry air actually create more resistance than the molecules in humid air. There is your science lesson of the day. Your retort? Uh, Only two All-Star games have there not been Yankees present. That's not going to change this year. Garrett Cole on the mound tonight. Looking forward to it. All right. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Get outside. Breathe in some fresh air. And again, you know what? Take a day off of sports tomorrow. Except, though, Rake's going to be in here tomorrow. Call him with all of your just esoteric sports takes. That's what he wants from noon to three. Fourth of July, Cornhole. John's next.